Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Bucky does for being miserable. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick... And Lamara Salt. Hey, Lamara. Hello. Thank you for finally joining us on um, Cinematic Universe, and we've we've been saving this podcast <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, as I said to you previously, I kind of feel like it might be a bit dull because it's just going to be me, be me saying how much I love this film and all the things I love about it. So, so yeah, you I think you know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, but to be honest, given the last few films that we've done, that's actually going to be a nice blessed relief, you know, <laughs> given that we've done Spawn and uh, X-Men the Last Stand. Um we we really needed this one. Well, there was also the the really great underrated Venom, but <laughs> we don't need to go through that again. Um Lamar, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um I mean and and why particularly we brought you on to defend Sebastian Stan? <laughs> Okay, uh, just a brief kind of uh, intro. I'm kind of was slash is a freelance journalist. Um, I wrote for kind of all of the usual suspects when it comes to film uh, until I got a proper job and they don't really like people freelancing. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of in semi-retirement, but still very active uh, in movies and very, very interested in all the comic book movies. Um, I think when it comes to kind of knowledge and interest, I'm on Joe's side, whereas all of my um, knowledge comes from movies, not from actual comic books. I've only read one comic book all the way through. Um, oh, what was it? Oh, um, the Phoenix Saga. Ah, oh, which I haven't read. Yeah, <laughs> that is it. That given how I mean, that's a very comicsy comic. So you know, fair play for that being the only comic that you've read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was obsessed with the episodes on it in the animated series. Ah. So that is, yeah, like. So you did not, have a way into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I grew up in the 90s. So Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns. And then, you know, even the uh, Schumacher Batmans I remember seeing in the cinema and the Batman anim- animated series, the Spider Man series, X Men, you know, that was very much my childhood. So until X Men, the movie came out when I was about 14, 15. So that's kind of where all of my comicsy knowledge comes from. If you want to call it that, I'm not sure how knowledgeable I am, but uh, and yeah, I am very much here to uh, defend Bucky Barnes. Uh, I actually listened to the first Avenger podcast that you guys did yesterday, Ooh. and um, in preparation, uh, and the best I mean, Captain America movie. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's the third um, best Captain America movie. Oh, I don't agree with that either. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very much here for Bucky and Steve. Um, it's Bucky two, and Eve, not Bucky and Steve. <laughs> two things I think we should um, we should pick up on. Uh, one, I think you've probably got the name most appropriate for a superhero of any guest we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I was um, once told that I sound like a Harry Potter character. That's another one I've had. <laughs> I mean, it's no bad thing. Um, and two, 
I think it should. I should basically make the listeners aware. Um, there was a point on this podcast where I was just making fun of Bucky because I think he's a bit shit. <laughs> but then it became almost like, can I get this into the podcast in most episodes to see what Lamar will tweet at me afterwards? <laughs> Whereas James just does it just because he's James. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, I knew you were doing that as well. And every time I heard it, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm I'm not taking the bait, and then it would just boil in my mind, and I was like, actually, I've got. I'm going to say something <laughs> because I'm just weak. Um, and I always feel like feel like your comments are really unfair. Like that's the thing about listening to the first Avenger podcast is that some of the stuff you guys are saying, I kind of agree with because when I rewatch the first Avenger, I don't think that um, he really jumps off the screen. To be fair, but in this one is where I was very, very much involved, and then I I like really like him in Civil War. So, um, yeah. We will get into discussing all of that, uh, but beforehand we're going to discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of the Russo Brothers 2014 movie, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb, um, and from what Lamara said just now, probably just Seb, to explain to me something about Batrock the Leaper that I, that I, don't, I haven't known before. <laughs> Tell me something about Batrock, Seth. Because um, my, my knowledge of him comes from this movie, and I remember watching this movie um, in a Leicester Square press screening, sat next to you and James, and when he came onto the screen, there were audible <laughs> giggles from the two of you. You were like excited um, schoolgirls. Yeah, just because he's just... Uh, I mean, uh, well, this is just explaining who he is rather than a fact that you don't know, but he's just a fun silly character um he because he's a just a ridiculously stereotypically french uh kickboxer basically uh he's a mercenary from the french foreign legion who who specializes in kickboxing um has a glorious ridiculous costume that actually kind of looks not a million miles away from from thanos's classic purple and gold costume uh but uh and and a a a fantastic stereotypical french mustache and is obviously usually written in a stereotypically french with a stereotypically french accent because you know comics um Something that you don't know. Um, he's one of the stars of a really underrated recent uh, Marvel series, which is the Unbelievable Gwenpool. Oh, uh, which I don't know if have we discussed that on the podcast. We probably Pro- I don't know if we've probably had a, probably briefly it, pretext it for doing up, so. But it's it, it's a comic that in, that in almost every conceivable way is is better than it has any right to be, and and better than you would expect. Uh, because Gwenpool was created basically to be uh, variant cover art that was a mashup of Gwen Stacy and, and Deadpool in the wake of, of Spider-Gwen proving so successful. Um, but she got turned into an actual character, and the hook of the actual character was she's from our world um, and is a big Marvel Comics fan and finds herself transported into the Marvel Universe and so sets herself up as a mercenary slash vigilante. She has no powers, but her, her ability is essentially that she lo- she knows loads about all of the heroes and villains. Ironically, not Deadpool. There's an issue where she meets Deadpool and she's like, I don't actually read Deadpool comics because I find the humour a bit tiresome. Um, and it's just great. It's just a really great series with really good characters in it. But, but Batroc is basically, she ends up being put in like a mercenary team that's put together by Modoc, 
um and uh batrock is another member of the team and and there's a quite nice kind of friendship develops between them um because you know he's a sort of he's generally presented as a as a villain he's a uh, as as from him appearing in this film, you know he's uh, often up against Captain America and sometimes up against Black Panther as well. Um, but it's it's not really that he's a villain so much as he's a mercenary. So you know he can be sort of morally ambiguous and he can be on the good side at times as well. Um, so yeah, if you want to read a, a decent comic with with Batroc in, uh, actually as well, um, uh, Kieran Gillen wrote a very good one shot about him. Uh, quite a few years ago, uh, Captain America Batroc one shot that that um, yeah, Kieran sort of uh, gave him a customarily interesting bit of character back- background Fantastic. and development. Well, and actually, maybe- something something that you may not know about him, Batroc is actually his name. His name is George Batroc. So his his superhero, well, a superhero, you know, his his code name is Batroc the Leaper, um, but his name is actually George Batroc. Yeah. It all tracks. That's fantastic that I, I didn't know any of those things. I certainly <laughs> didn't know he was in Gwenpool. Um, yeah. So that that will probably do for Batroc for now. Um, up on Marvel Unlimited. It's very yeah, good. Maybe it will be the second comic that Lamar ever reads. <laughs> I, I don't know any of these words. <laughs> He's the fighty French guy on the ship at the start. Oh, okay. I'm with you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, we'll move on to the comic book movie uh, and TV news now, and um, we're, we're, we're kind of doing a bit of uh, mopping up with the news from the last couple of weeks, because we didn't have it on the Venom episode, and we, we held a couple of things back from the mini-sode that you will have heard by now. Um, but there's there's some interesting bits and pieces in there, and interesting bits and pieces that we thought that Seb would have something to say about. Um, the first one is that there was um, an extended trailer slash, I don't know, a few scenes cut together from Aquaman that were released online. Mm-hmm. Um, this was weird because I, I started watching this thinking it was just a trailer. And then that scene with them at, like, at the ruins started to go on really long. And I was like, this is a really weirdly paced trailer. And then I looked at the, at the YouTube clock and realised it was like six minutes long. I went, ah... Yeah, Lamara, what what are your thoughts on uh, Mama and Aquaman? Are you uh, are you looking forward to this movie? I don't know. I watched the the clips, and part of me was like, this could be fun ish. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, I I think if the tone is right. To be fair, I I don't have much of an opinion on Aquaman, Aquaman mainly because I tried to watch Justice League on a plane, and I fell asleep. And then that, that's about right. And then when I woke up, I tried to watch it again, and I fell asleep again, and then I just gave up. <laughs> um, so I don't really remember any of his scenes. Um, but oh, yeah, I just, I, I just feel... did them. It's my man. That's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the extent of the character. Um, but I mean, I won't pay to see it. But if I get invited to a screening, maybe I'll go. But <laughs> that's <laughs> that's how interested I am. But I feel like if the tone is right. Because this director, he made one of the Fast and Furious movies, didn't he? So Yeah, he made Fast and Furious 7, which was the one that had to deal with Paul Walker's de- death mid-production. Yeah. yeah, so I feel like if the tone, if they nail the tone, it, it might be okay. But to be honest, I keep forgetting that it's even coming out, like all the big films coming out <laughs> in the next few months. I just keep, oh yeah, Aquaman 2. Like, it's, it must be so weird for Warner Brothers and everyone involved in this movie because there's no real anticipation or much interest so well, it's really hard this... to think of it as a 2018 film yeah. <laughs> well it's co- it feels it's like we're right done with all of them now <laughs> but yeah I, I think you're completely right it feels like 
it feels like the movies, even DC-wise, you're like, oh, we've got Shazam coming soon, Wonder Woman 84, and Aquaman has kind of got lost in the mix, and that's what this trailer release kind of felt like to me. Like, oh, guys, don't forget us, that we, we, we've still got a movie coming. Because this, uh, am I, am I, I'm not forgetting anything, am I? This is the first post-Justice League movie. Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah it's, which it's beating Shazam out. Which seems equally insane that, you know, you think of all of the movies that we've heard about that are coming from DC since Justice League, all of the changes that have happened behind the scenes since Justice League, um, and this movie is finally arriving out there. Um, I, I, I thought the footage, I think I agree with you, Lamar, it, it looks like it, it could be an enjoyable movie. Um, May, do you know what? May, maybe the proof will probably be of how early they decide to screen this movie to press. Because if they screen it right at the start of December and get that positive buzz out there early, if it is a good movie, then mm. that might that might be enough. Like literally, just hearing that it's good might be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, especially in that December schedule where there, it feels like there are three big movies being released every week, it really could get lost in the shuffle if it's not. If it's not moving the needle critically, mm. I um I I forgot to tweet this after I watched the trailer. The the brilliant joke that I came up with when watching the the trailer. But the main thing that I thought was uh, Jupiter submerging. Oh, Seb, very good. I just it's it, this is <laughs> but this is the thing. It looks like it could go either way. If it completely embraces ridiculousness and just throws all of that stupid over the top stuff at you for a couple of hours i mean it, it that could be tiring or that could be enjoyable um again it's you know another comparison would probably be uh, valerian in terms of you know some people loved that and some people hated it but the fact that they included that scene with them at, at the ruins and it's just like is it going to be full of a load of stuff that slows it down and isn't interesting i find it really difficult still to to get on with the idea of putting up with him for the entirety of a movie um i'm i'm probably more keen on the idea of putting up with amber heard for the duration of a couple of hours movie that wig wig is so distracting (laughs) it is a bit distracting but it does just make you think is this a a sequel to the little mermaid where you know ariel has has married aquaman um but actually the main thing i took away from the trailer was the shot at the very end where one, he's wearing the orange costume, yay, classic orange Aquaman, and it looks pretty good. And secondly, and possibly more importantly, his trident actually has three prongs instead of five, like it had in uh, Justice League, which was something that I think people enjoyed mocking in Justice League. That was like, you can't just give him a trident, you have to give him a trident that has five prongs, which well, I is mean, two more than the it, word that, try. Yeah, it's um, a, a quindrant, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, like in, there is that shot at the end where it feels like they've actively gone, okay, look, we know what Aquaman's really supposed to look like, so here you go. Um, Seb, also in the DC universe, um, we spoke on the, I think we spoke on the last mini-sode about some of the casting that was going on around Birds of Prey. Uh, mm-hmm. They've added Rosie Perez to the cast as Renee Montoya. Ooh. I, uh, well, Lamara, you tell us why you're excited about Rosie Perez, and <laughs> Seb, you tell us why you're excited about Renee Montoya. Well, I don't, know, first. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about uh, Birds of Prey themselves, but I 
enjoy Rosie Perez and will watch her in anything. So that's pretty much all I feel about that. <laughs> and what will she be doing in it, Seb? What's what's Renee Montoya's deal? So Renee Montoya, who I feel like we must have talked about before, um, not least because you have talked about Batman the Animated Series. Uh, she's but... kind of she's kind of like the one other cop in the animated series, isn't she? Yeah, uh, she was created for the animated series, but then she actually appeared in the comics prior to her appearance in the animated series to kind of plant her in the comics. Okay. Um, so kind of in the early 90s, she was just basically a... Um, she was a uniform cop to start with, and she was partnered with Harvey Bullock, and then eventually she became a detective. And then there was an absolutely fantastic series, which I must have talked about on here before, called Gotham Central, written by uh, Ed Brubaker, who we will be talking about a lot on this podcast later. Yeah, I'm sure uh, you've and uh, and Greg Rucker, um, that was about cops in Gotham, and that you know it was a sort of. Um, this is why when when they do Gotham, the TV show, and it's like, let's do Gotham City without Batman, but before Batman. And it's like, no, do Gotham Central, which is a, a series that's not about Batman, but he's on the periphery of it. That's the way you do it. Anyway, I'm digressing. But it was a brilliant, brilliant series about cops in Gotham, and she was one of them. Um, and I think it was in that that it was established that she was gay. Um, also that she's got quite a long and complex history and background with Two-Face. Um, then in 52, the weekly series in the mid-2000s, um, it was it, that, that series introduced Kate Kane's Batwoman and also established that uh, those two had previously been in a relationship. Um, and in that series, she developed a close friendship with The Question, uh, vigilante character that Rorschach is based on. Um, he dies in that series, spoilers for a 12-year-old comic, and uh, she becomes the new question. And she was the question up until the New 52 reboot when I, I'm not actually 100% certain, but I think in current continuity she's never been the question, um, which is a shame. But she's great. She's just she's a, she's a really good character. Um, she's she reminds me in a lot of ways, I think, of somebody like Jessica Jones, um, because oh. she's a sort of take no shit alcoholic. Um, but um, yeah, just as I say, just a, a really good and interesting character. I think it's really interesting that they cast Rosie Perez because that suggests they'll be doing a slightly different dynamic from the comics. Because obviously, Rosie Perez is in her fifties, whereas the rest of the cast members will probably be in their twenties and thirties. So whether Renee will have been around with that group of characters for a while, or if it's just that she's going to be a cop in Gotham whose paths they cross with and any other stuff about her being a vigilante will be ignored. Um, I don't know. It's Everything about that film is open for speculation apart from all the casting that's happened, isn't it? So um, we'll wait and see, but she's a great character and Rosie Perez is, you know, a really interesting choice to play her. Um, it, you know, a, a younger Rosie Perez playing her as she is in the comics would be fantastic. Her at her current age adds that dimension of, well, what's what's the character's dyna- dynamic going to be? Sorry, I was just going to say, like, if if she was younger, I was just thinking about the actress from Jane the Virgin, who sounds like she could definitely play that kind of role. I've forgotten what her name is. Um, Gina um, Rodriguez. Yes, yes, mm, like, and she's, she's kind of... uh, she she's great in Annihilation, actually playing a character that feels a, a little bit more like that. Yeah, yeah. And just one quick question. Uh, what's, what's the character's name again? Renee Montoya. She's not related to Inigo Montoya. That's <laughs> where my brain went immediately. If she was, that'd be a crossover I'd like She to could be. She could also be related to Juan Pablo Montoya, the racing driver. Although I think he's Colombian and she's Dominican. So. Oh yeah, we mustn't mix um, these things up. 
I'm I, equally the villain in this movie could be the Dread Pirate Roberts, which would also be fantastic. Um, I, I like the sound of this movie because it, it, it sounds like a movie that we haven't seen before from superhero movies. The cast is Margot Robbie, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Janae Smollett-Bell and Rosie Perez so far. So that's lining up pretty nicely. Um, and they managed to um, take... Uh, what's his face off the project? Suicide Squad director. David Ayer. David Ayer, yeah. So all moving in the right direction for (laughs) Birds of Prey. Um, So hopefully that will be good when it comes out in 2020. Um, Seb, for this next piece of news, I'm just going to sit back and let you talk. Um, (laughs) It's Netflix, isn't it? They're making The Boys. Yeah. I think we talked about this back when it was announced, uh, but now there's been footage. Um, This is something that you're into? Uh, well, from a co- from a comic book point of view, yeah, I'm I'm into I'm into the comic with caveats because it's a Garth Ennis comic, but it's a Garth Ennis comic with the brakes taken off, and it's Garth Ennis writing about superheroes, but without sort of just like Garth Ennis's stance generally is that he hates superheroes except for Superman, and he loves Superman. Um, so generally, if he's doing stuff in the DC Universe, like Hitman, which is, you know, pretty much one of, if not my favourite comic ever, um, like, he'll generally take the piss out of superheroes, but then Superman will turn up for one issue and he'll be incredibly respectful and write an absolutely fantastic story. The Boys is a story about how much Garth Ennis hates superheroes, in which Superman is one of the villains. Um, so it's it doesn't have that thing of, of him kind of showing any kind of affection um it also doesn't have him showing any kind of restraint in terms of the subject matter and the humor and there is definitely stuff in the boys that i think pushes too far but i also think in places it's a really interesting exploration of taking superheroes and putting them in a context and doing something interesting with them um and also like because it's a Garth Ennis comic, like something that will always be true in a Garth Ennis comic is that the characters are good and the character dynamics are good. So the boys is about uh, a secret CIA squad. Um, I think we have explained this on the pod before, but they're they're led by a Cockney guy called Billy Butcher, who's being being played by Carl Urban, and they're called the boys because Billy calls them that because he, it's about sending the boys round to basically do someone's nutting. Um, and this CIA task force basically is there to keep tabs on superheroes. And this is a world where loads and loads of superheroes exist, but they all exist because a big, massive corporation um, discovered, like, uh, during the Second World War, discovered a compound that would give people superpowers, and so has been creating and marketing superheroes ever since then. And the biggest superheroes in it are a group called The Seven, um, who are basically the Justice League. And... um, they are the focus of the this uh, kind of... I wouldn't even really call it a trailer. Um, it's kind of more of a, a teaser clip that was put out um, with Elizabeth Shue as the, um, the representative of this corporation. It seems like they've actually gender-flipped the character of Stillwell, who's the, the main kind of corporate representative um, of uh, what they called Vought American. Um who are the people who created the seven and manage all the superheroes? And it's kind of like a promotional video showing how great the superheroes are. And then at the end, you cut to the boys watching it, and they all give the video the finger. Um, what I like about this is, well, there's two things really. One is that the seven look great um, because 
they've taken particularly Homelander, who's the Superman equivalent. They've done his costume very close to how it is in the comics, except they've given all of the characters' costumes a look and texture that makes them look like modern superhero movie costumes. And in particular, they've they've gone after the DC look, like their um, Queen Mabe, who is basically their, their Wonder Woman character looks like a a complete takeoff of the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. The texture on Homelander's costume looks exactly like the Henry Cavill Superman costume. Um so I just think, you know, they they are definitely going for the sort of the the parody of current superhero movies. Yeah, I mean, one of, with one of them looks Aquaman y. Yeah. Uh that's the deep. Um they've changed one of the characters actually, which is um there's a character called Jack from Jupiter, who's basically the Martian Manhunter. Um, and they, but they've replaced him with an invisible character. So that's there's obviously going to be plot reasons for that. So you've got uh, you've got him. You've got Queen Maeve as Wonder Woman. Homelander is Superman. Black Noir is essentially their Batman, but but quite different. And some interesting plot stuff happens with him and A Train, who is basically the Flash. Um, and then there's another character called Starlight, who is meant. She's kind of recently joined the team, and she's from a a Christian superhero team and she's kind of, uh, you know, she's a very sort of, she's actually a good person basically and and in her um, alter ego she gets involved with one of the uh, main characters of the series, like kind of with the, the each of them not knowing who the other one is in, in their other life. Um, but it's, yeah, I think the, what's interesting about it and what I really like about what this clip shows is that the thing that really works well in The Boys is that angle of what if what if the you know in in our world superheroes which don't exist are created and marketed by big corporations but in their own universes they're not so it's taking what marvel and dc are in terms of these arms of these big massive global corporations but putting it in a world where they actually exist and how those corporate politics and how basically this corporation being huge and evil um has an effect on the world um so i i like that i like the sinister pleasantness of this this promotional clip um i think i think it's nicely put together i think it's a good way to introduce us to basically to show us what's interesting about this superhero world because i think if you were to just go oh this is another superhero thing with a bunch of costume characters who you haven't heard of there's no hook there but the hook here is they are corporate america um the so. um the trailer for this so what I remember when you were talking about this on the podcast the last time around when it was announced, mm-hmm. I kind of went, based on everything you said, oh, I'm not sure that's going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, like I, I think the the footage looks good. Um, it, the showrunner is Eric Kripke, uh, who uh, worked on Supernatural and Timeless mm-hmm. um, Revol- Re- Revolution. He's he's a pretty slick, t- uh, a pretty pretty slick showrunner um and yeah i actually like uh, the now hearing you talk about it again with the context of some of the footage it kind of reminds me visually of like the um well a kind of mash of the two different um live action versions of the tick (laughs) yeah like it feels I, a, little I, bit, I a little bit between I, those. I definitely hope that it that it does what the tick does in terms of being, you know, a, a non-mainstream superhero TV <laughs> series online that turns out to be a really good version of the source material. I also like the fact that because uh, Huey, the lead character, quite famously was visually based on Simon Pegg when the comic first came out, and they've cast Simon Pegg as his dad in in the right. show. 
So I thought that was a, a nice little touch. I doubt he's going to be in it much. I kind of hope he isn't because the storyline where you meet Huey's parents, which is actually a spin-off miniseries uh, called Highland Laddie, is dreadful. So I kind of hope they don't do that. There's a lot of stuff in the comic that I really hope they don't do. Um, there's there's a fair bit of rape in it for one thing and you know i really hope that they don't go down that direction conversely there's something that i think they probably won't do or at least in the way it is in the comics but that i think it is one of the most interesting thing about the comics which is um that it's a world where 9-11 happened and the the president is leaned on to let it happen so that the corporation can get a demonstration of how good their superheroes are they basically let the superheroes swoop in to save the day and the superheroes actually fail catastrophically and make it an even worse it like the plane crashes into the brooklyn bridge which has got thousands of people trying to escape on it and it's just like there's this one issue that just tells the story of what happened on 9-11 and it's just this kind of relentless horrific unfolding disaster and it's not pleasant but it's so well done now i don't think a tv show is going to go near that i think they'll probably invent a different disaster to have happened in the past but it's one of the things that 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 the comic does really well and and actually has an interesting angle on so but yeah as i say i'd be i'd be amazed if that makes it into the show i don't think it will Maybe Doctor Doom will cry if it doesn't. Um, <laughs> Lamara, does that sound like a show that you are likely to watch? Uh, it sounds interesting, but I'll be honest, I'm I'm struggling to keep up with all of the television right now. I just <laughs> yeah, there's, there's you're just, not the only one. <laughs> there's just there's just so much TV. I I can't keep up. Um, so here's yeah, the way maybe to I'll do get it. To it. Eventually, we we look at a show like this and go. Yeah, it looks good. I have every intention of watching it. And if the reviews come out and they're a bit lackluster, you just go, all right, no, I, I won't know. Basically. I mean, I imagine, I imagine you probably still will, Seb. But like, yeah, it's like stuff like we, we've, we I think for however much like we've enjoyed parts of it, I think all of us on this podcast now look at Preacher and go, there just isn't the time to watch more episodes of Preacher. I didn't even start that. I Yeah, hmm. I'm way behind. I wasn't going to bother with Daredevil Season 3 either until loads of people who, you know, have generally good opinions were saying it's really good. So now I have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's uh, almost it for this week's uh, Commitment Movie and TV News. The last point that I want to mention, though, is um, there was a tweet, you guys. Chris Evans got on his Twitter and he, and he, put, <laughs> and he, put, out, he put out a tweet. Um, here's the question does it mean what we all think it means um, <laughs> we're obviously supposed to think what we think it means aren't we <laughs> <laughs> should we explain it in any way for our listeners if any of our listeners have like been passed out for a few weeks or just think that we're having a stroke and like Chris Evans tweeted uh, about his last day filming Avengers Infinity War and kind of bid farewell to Captain America I mean, he didn't say I'm bidding farewell to Captain America. He um, he said it's been an honour to have played him for the last eight years. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'm I'm choosing to believe that it's not what we think it is, and it was kind of when Infinity War was was coming up as well. It's just you know, oh, Cap's definitely going to die. He's definitely going to die, and I feel like because that's what everyone thinks, maybe they won't go that way but yeah he, obviously he wasn't specific and i feel like marvel are really strict on that kind of stuff that he probably might not have been able to tweet that until someone said yeah that's okay maybe um but uh because when i read it i was like yeah oh. I, 
Oh, okay. I don't think he's as loose with his Twitter account as Dave Batista. Oh God, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But yeah. um, I mean, I'm sure he lives happily ever after. Let's just let's just be positive. Well, so our our theory on this podcast for a while has been Cap isn't dying, but he is leaving the MCU. Mm. Um, I, I, th- this tweet, if anything, just made me think for a second, like. Oh, I've been assuming that for so long, but what if not? Because we and we also we also assumed the same for Tony Stark, for Robert Downey Jr. Um, and I guess the question is, are they going to lose both those characters at the same time? I kind of feel like they should. I kind of feel like as much as I love Cap, you've got hopefully you would think the face. You know, you've you've got your new Captain America in Black Panther. You've got your new. Um, Iron Man in um, Doctor Strange, you've got your new well, you've got your new whoever you want in Brie Larson, hopefully. Hopefully what you've got there is a brand new fresh dynamic. Um, And yeah, I kind of do want to see the torch past a bit. Like, I'd be happy if from those original Avengers, the only Mm. ones that stick around are Thor, Widow and Hawkeye. Or is that just me being brutal? (laughs) (laughs) Quite brutal. I'm. I'm not ready to think about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it. It makes sense if they if they're going to move on into a different phase. You know, as much as it pains me to say it, because Chris Evans's cap is pretty much eighty percent of the reason why I'm any, I'm even interested in the MCU. So there is a part of me that's like, well, once he leaves, I don't know if I'm going to care that much. Um, but yeah, like they those characters, they they can't do it forever. I feel like Tony Stark will be like a Nick Fury character and maybe he'll do some cameos and just kind of pop up to give Sage advice and then go back to his tower and that's it. But yeah, I think that however they choose to send him off, Cap is probably, at least this version of Cap is is done. And plus, you know, I don't know why we were so surprised because Chris Evans has literally been talking about finishing it as Cap for about yeah. four years. You know, he, <laughs> he's made it pretty clear that he, he's keen to do other things and, you know. So long as that other thing is run for president, then I'm I'm on board. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if even he can save America, but yeah, yeah. I'm actually, he's actually signed up for some really interesting films, um, and he just this year did a um, a run on Broadway. So I'm kind of excited to see his post cap career, what he does, because he's 37 now, so he's kind of in that nice kind of spot that you know a lot of Hollywood actors get, like between 35 and 50, where they can get really nice plum roles. So um, yeah, I mean, I will be the first person weeping in the cinema when we see Cap for the last time, but. Yeah, at the same time, it's probably the right time for him to go. And I think it's easy to forget he made his first Captain America movie in 2011. So yeah. he's probably he, he's had Captain America in his life since probably 2009. So that's a decade of his life. It's been a lot of movies. And if you go through his IMDb and kind of look what's happened between then, there's Snowpiercer, there's Gifted, but then there's like small supporting roles. And it's easy to forget that he, like, he didn't want to do this. It, like, he was the one actor who kept turning Marvel down and they kept coming back to him. Um, like, I think John Krasinski was the other backup, um, which, <laughs> you know. I, I love John, imagine... Krasin- John Krasinski, but you can't see it, can you? No, no. <laughs> but then I would have said you can't see it with Chris Evans beforehand and look what happened there. So. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't John Krasinski get pretty buff for, like, a Michael Bay movie or something? Like, Oh, yeah, but. I I don't think like cat, yeah. cat pleading with Bucky would have the same oh, no, gravitas yeah, if if 
if uh, John Krasinski is like glancing into the camera between. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's it's not that I, it's not that I can't see Krasinski as an action guy. It's that he's a bit too whimsical and he's got too kind of soft a face. He's not he's not steely jawed, you know. I see. I can't see him with that determination. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I think that what I mean about Chris Evans not having these big roles in between the Captain America movies. Uh, you you look at Chris Hemsworth's career in between them, and mm. he is he feels like the the one of the the one of these actors who has really been able to take his Marvel work and really like forge a big a big well a career for himself outside of the Marvel movies. Mm. I mean, Down, Downey's done stuff like Sherlock Holmes, but also well, he hasn't needed to because he's later in his career anyway. Yes, and so. he's kind of he's kind of just made that decision to. If I'm gonna do a movie, it's gonna be a huge movie. Yeah, um, he can even I've... do exactly what he wants, basically. <laughs> and uh, Chris Evans hasn't done that, and so I kind of I hope that he does what Lamar has said, which is uh, like emerge from this as someone who, despite you know the snobbery around comic book movies, despite being the probably oh I don't know between him and Iron Man, but like the most prominent superhero for a decade. That he doesn't seem it. It's it's not taking any gloss off him, and I think that like actually between that and his Twitter account, he's got the kind of gravitas that you could see him. You could see him doing what Bradley Cooper's doing now. Basically, you could see him going yeah. off and making his own movies. Go, like, yeah, going and doing his Broadway runs. Going when and- when you said that thing about you know when actors reach that point between thirty five and fifty, the one I immediately thought of was look at what Bradley Cooper's doing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they I mean, they feel like they've got a similar approach to their art as well. Yeah, I mean we've we've forgotten about the A team now that A Star Is Born is out. So definitely, uh, <laughs> if Bradley Cooper can do it, I'm sure that Chris Evans can can do something good. So. Although I I bring this up all the time that there were three actors in the running for Green Lantern, Justin Timberlake, Ryan Reynolds, and Bradley <laughs> Cooper, and I feel like Bradley Cooper got the ultimate get out of jail free card there because he wasn't going to make Green Lantern any better than than any of if, the other ones. Also, if if Bradley Cooper's going to play a Green Lantern, it's Guy Gardner. It's not Hal Jordan. I don't. I now think... really want to see Bradley Cooper play Guy Gardner. <laughs> oh, I I think you have probably missed your Bradley yes. Cooper in a superhero movie window <laughs> until he's maybe in his like late sixties and he gets brought in to do a Robert Redford esque role. Um, I don't think I have missed my Bradley Cooper in a superhero movie window. To be honest, is it, why is he in one? If I miss, oh the, what? No wait, is he in one? I'm just going to give you a minute to figure it out. Wait, what is it? Hmm. Oh, right. yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> yes, it does. Of course it does. <laughs> what is it? Right, he's Rocket he's Raccoon. He's Rocket Raccoon. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 No, that, that, it doesn't Remind count, me what so. this podcast's about again, Joe. <laughs> I've never I've never seen him give an interview about Rocket. Like, he's, ne- he's never the one sat next to Chris Pratt in the chair, is he? No. Oh, wait a minute. How old is Bradley Cooper? He's like 43, something like that. Yeah. He is a, he is forty three. That's yeah, impressive I mean, precision. You guys forget that men can play superheroes well into their fifties, whereas it's yeah. the women who oh. have to be in their mid to late twenties. Mm. So he's still got time. Yeah, um, whether agreed, he wants I to just, do that is you know another yeah. thing. That's more my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? What was it that um, Diane Lane plays Superman's mum in mm-hmm. Man of Steel, and she's the same age as Robert Downey Jr., who is Iron Man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. 
Okay, uh, well, hey, that's going to be a nice transition for us. Um, we'll move on from the comic book movie news now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, take a quick listen to the trailer and we'll be back with our thoughts on the movie. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. They joined S.H.I.E.L.D. to protect people. Captain, to build a better world, Sometimes means tearing the old one down. That makes enemies. Fast. Strong. Had a metal arm. Are you ready? All it takes is one step. People are gonna die. I can't let that happen. Captain America needs my help. When do we start? We just did. The price of freedom's high. It's a price I'm willing to pay. You told me not to trust anyone. This is how it ends. Everything goes. Looks like you're giving the orders now, Captain. Damn right. from the bad guys. If they're shooting at you, they're bad. Okay, so Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We are, Seb, we've nearly completed the MCU. We have. We should get to Guardians of the Galaxy shortly before, I think, what? We should probably get to it before Infinity War. If, if 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 we do get to Guardians before Infinity War, then for the first time since this podcast launched at the start of 2015, there will not be an MCU film that we haven't covered. Which is wow. <laughs> finally, finally getting there. Um, Lamara, am I right in thinking that this is your favorite MCU movie? Correct. Your favorite superhero movie, or? No. What's what's it for it's, behind? Uh, yeah, I'm a nostalgic person. It's still Batman Returns. That's a that's a pretty good choice. Yeah. Um, Seb, where does it where does it land for you in the MCU? I, uh, I mean, I did say when I tweeted about watching it the other night that it's the best MCU film. Um, I think it probably is the best MCU film. I think that's with caveats, and that's like I think I. I think I like Guardians of the Galaxy the most. I think Avengers as a pure superhero movie, just just in terms of doing superhero 
comic book movie is is pretty untouchable but also as a movie isn't as tight as this uh and i think infinity war is just i mean i'm still processing infinity war but you know what infinity war does in terms of just being unlike any other movie in this genre or indeed any other genre in terms of how it's structured and and what it does and and everything so all of those ones are up there but i think if you take what this is setting out to do how it does it as a piece of movie making um and even down to things like the way it it you know obviously it is still a big flashy effects movie and does have you know helicarriers falling out of the sky but also it really brings you down into this more grounded kind of practical effects and fighting um you know the cast are just all superb i the story's great the character is at his best you know the um, the guy who i think is the best character in this universe is at his best in this film it's just it's just immense it's just it's a it's a fantastic film and it is it is probably with the possible exception of the dark knight the film that you can most take out of this entire world of superhero films that we cover and show to anybody and just go this is just a fucking good film yeah so i've i've stopped trying to well i say that i've got my ranking published online but i've <laughs> broadly i i struggle more and more to rank the marvel movies as we get deeper into it uh but for me there is still a like a top tier that are better than all the others um or feel like they reach kind of some like a level above for me those are um the avengers first avengers captain america the winter soldier captain america the first avenger iron man 3 guardians of the galaxy and black panther um and and even those are starting to get more modeled i know i (laughs) I, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna stand by captain america the first avenger is like it's my favorite um and i i personally do think it's i think it has flaws in the same way that i think the winter soldier has flaws um i I just think their flaws are very different for me the first avenger has a weak third act um i don't think captain america the winter soldier has an amazing third act and i think it has a couple of elements in there too many um but it's it's hard to I mean rewatching it um, today and for the second time this year, uh, I yeah I, I I just love it and I love I love Chris Evans in this role and I I think this is when you say it's Captain America at his best it's it's definitely Captain America at his most interesting. It takes that nugget of where he is kind of mentally in the avengers and spins it out into a whole movie it's um yeah it's people it's you you know part of the reason why i love this version of captain america so much is that i'm i'm a really big fan of superman um i i it's not that i don't like anti-heroes as well because i do but i also really like heroes who are just properly heroes and who are you know a moral compass who who you know will do right by you and people will often say about superman and i think by extension they'll say it about chris evans's captain america as well that it's boring to have a character who is always meant to be the the moral good guy and who is kind of too clean cut and always kind of does the right thing and this film shows how you make 
how you do something interesting with those characters, which is you put them in a situation where they don't know the the world around them is so screwed up that they don't know who to trust, and so they do have to question their own place in things. Uh, and Civil War does this as well. It's like you know, it, it's not that you it's not that you think that they'll make bad decisions. It's that the world can make it so that their decisions might turn out to be the wrong ones. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what this movie does is it takes a character who has lived in this black and white world where, mm. you know, the Allies are good, Nazis are bad, Hydra even worse, and Captain America wakes up from that world and not only feels lost in that he is he's on his own, um, his friends are gone. They are literally museum artifacts at this point. Um, his, you know, his one true love can't remember him for more than a few minutes. Um, his his best friend is, you know, is a is a distant memory. Um, and you put him into you you put that guy who has this tremendous sense of loss into a world where it's not black and white anymore. Everything's grey. Like he thinks he's with the good guys. But he, he isn't, and and that's even before all of the Hydra stuff. Like, yeah, well, we, well, actually, yeah, that's that's key, isn't it? It's like they're not just bad because they're Hydra, because Nick Fury is totally in favor of the Insight program. And I, but I don't think it's that I don't think it's that Fury is bad, but it's that no. Fury Fury is a product of this morally grey world. Yeah, in this in the same way that Natasha is, and that's why Black Widow is such a fantastic character to pair cap up with in this movie because you've got this this guy of the old world and this person who you know what what does fury say like i know if i send her there to do the thing she's gonna do it Mm. which which she couldn't say for cap and that's when you pair those two up it's it's really interesting um so should we should we do this chronologically i like to do things chronologically (laughs) we often (laughs) don't succeed in doing so no we kind of we kind of manage it for about half the movie uh but i i think we're i think we're gonna have we're gonna have more success here just because there's good stuff all the way through um and it's hard not to start chronologically when the first scene is so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I again I it's, you know it's that thing of when I'm, when I'm watching a film that's that's this good I I do kind of want to talk about it on Twitter as I'm watching it and I was trying not to just make all the points I would want to make on the podcast but what a concise piece of character storytelling that opening scene is. It's like I can't imagine many people saw this without having seen Avengers at least and and probably the first Captain America as well. So you know who Captain America is but what that scene gets across about his circumstances and his personality you know it's 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 exposition but it's so nicely done and so concise uh lamara what are your thoughts on uh, on sam not just his introduction but kind of falcon as a whole because this really feels like I, I like falcon but i don't think i've ever liked him quite as much as i like him here yeah i agree i'm the, the first, it's just such a great introduction to his character and I remember in the Honest trailer they kind of made a joke that Cap kind of just gets a random man off the street to kind of you know help him in, in whatever he's doing but 
you totally believe and you totally understand why Steve would trust Sam immediately and why they bond. It just kind of rings very true. And I think that Anthony Mackie and Chris Evans have a really kind of nice natural rapport um, mm. in the way that I imagine people who have, you know, been soldiers or served might have with each other just from having shared experiences. But, you know, it, it doesn't feel kind of jokey or quippy in the way that sometimes these films can. It just, it just feels, it just flows nicely. And also the guy, you know, has a great taste in music with that Marvin Gaye album. So I've got no, <laughs> I, I've got no problem with Sam. But yeah, I, I will say that watching this again, it's kind of like, I wish we had a bit more of this kind of Sam in the, in the other films that he's been in, he hasn't really had, you know, I mean, he gets a bit of kind of back and forth with Bucky in, in Civil War. That's funny. But, but yeah, I, I, I do really love his intro and I, I'm very, you know, I don't like change. And whenever they try and shoehorn in new characters, I'm like, oh, why should I care about this guy? But, but with Falcon, I'm completely on board straight away. It just works for me. Do you kind of, I, I kind of feel like part of the reason for that success is in this movie, I feel like the characters I'm watching are Steve and Natasha and Sam. Mm. Whereas I feel like every time that I feel, and I think this for Widow as well, to an extent, I think this is, I think the phase three version of Black Widow has, has been more Black Widow and less Natasha. Mm. Whereas this movie, like Sam is Sam. And I, and, and like the, the Falcon stuff actually in execution I can I can take a leave. I don't I I don't need in the context of just this movie with no comic book background. I don't need that guy to fly in with wings at the end. I feel like it's enough that there is a guy who is an outsider, but who in this world where Steve doesn't know who to trust, from like two meetings with this guy, he knows that that's the guy that he should go to later in the movie because there is zero percent chance that he's Hydra. And and that they have this common shared experience, but it's, that experience is like what sixty seventy years uh, apart. It's I, I think there's a couple of things here, which is yeah, I think the in in subsequent appearances, I, I do always like him when he shows up, but but liking him is is almost just a hangover from how he is in this film, and I think they they rely too much on it's just. Oh, he's Captain America's buddy. You know, whenever he turns up, he's going to be on Captain America's side. He's he's going to be doing whatever Captain America wants him to do. He's he's always going to be aligned with him, and he hasn't really had the chance to have his own kind of personality in in any way. Here, he's not playing that role because he hasn't become that yet. He only becomes that towards the end of the film. And instead, what you've got is here's how an ordinary guy reacts now admittedly you know he becomes a less ordinary guy and he's got that background but really it's a you know it's maybe being slightly self-flattering to call him the audience identification figure because you know he's he's way better than any of us but he is in terms of you know he's the guy who captain america kind of lets into his world and he reacts to things like an ordinary person would not like a superhuman would but what he has as well is you know that 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 character thing of him him doing the va counseling um, he's got that empathy to be able to look at Cap and understand the issues that Cap has, you know, and obviously the very unique circumstance of having been woken up from suspended animation. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to it. He will have an element of PTSD, which is something that Sam is used to dealing with. So, um, 
Yeah, it's just none of that stuff is present in his later appearances because there's no room for it. And so the simple character crutch that they fall back on is he's a really good bloke and he's on Captain America's side. And that's fine, but yeah, what would be nice would be to get another film that's about those guys rather than him just being around in the other films. Yeah. I think what's really really important about this opening scene as well is kind of sets the visual identity for the movie uh so it is those guys in their in their civvies like you you actually there's very little costume in this aside from that opening mission there's very little costume for the majority of the movie and it's that's why it's so striking that when cap gets the the full first avenger costume back at the end of the movie it's like oh hello here we are again yeah back back in superhero mode um, but it sets the visual identity of Washington. It nods towards what the movie is uh, is modelling itself after, which is 70s conspiracy thrillers. Um, the Russos talked about this this shot of them running around specifically being a nod to Marathon Man. Um, and they also said, I mean, you'll, you'll have heard this a million times, but that their main inspiration was Three Days of the Condor. And they essentially called this movie Three Days of the Captain America because it was just... <laughs> It's just, it is literally like, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're watching these like two or three days unfold, um, with no real massive time jumps at any point or no real, like, uh, nothing really lets up. It feels like from the moment, from the moment that we see Nick Fury in that car to when the final helicarrier crashes, you know, shit's pretty real and intense all that way through. Um, and it's twist after twist after twist as you go through there. Um, it's really, it's really effective. Um, and yeah, it's all set in place from this, from this very first scene. Um, we then get to the first kind of, the first Captain America mission. And I feel like this is kind of in there because they knew that there wasn't going to be much cap action in this movie. Um, and that they needed a real kick-ass sequence. I'm going to ask you something, though. Given what we later find out about what's actually going on on that ship, it's really... It's it's not cool that Captain America just went around killing the guards, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that, is, uh, that is our ultimate superhero, just murdering innocent people. <laughs> I mean, they might just be injured. We don't know. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe like, he shot them with stun bullets, mm. <laughs> and maybe, maybe maybe it was a real gentle sea that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's something that always gives me pause, and it get it, give, it really gives me pause at the start of Civil War as well. The fact that these are characters who are all soldiers, and for them, killing is what you do in battle. Uh, I still find it kind of uneasy, Seb. I I can't lie that that Cap will just you know will just kill a man because if that was if that was Superman, we'd be like, whoa, no. Yeah, but that's... Cap's not Superman. Cap's a soldier. I know, it's... I know he's not, and I, but <laughs> but but he he is Superman as well. Mm, but he he is and he isn't. No, I I I I think it's okay. Uh, because Cap is kind of... He's not actually fundamentally about the preservation of life the way that Superman is. Um, he he is a soldier. That is 
his background. It doesn't mean it's okay to go around killing people, but um, I and if people want to see this as a as a hypocritical point of view but you know me saying that i don't think superman and batman should ever kill because it's inherent to their characters does not mean that i think that anyone who kills cannot be a superhero um and also it's a, it's a it's a superhero movie and they all kill people in superhero movies so we can't single out cap for it can well, we apart we, we single out the ones who aren't allowed to but exactly. these are it, it just i don't like it and especially I think the movie kind of forgets that it has this twist coming. And, and to be honest, I don't think you really... Cl- it was about the third or fourth <laughs> time I watched this movie that I was like, hang on. Ooh, I don't like this. <laughs> um, but it's it's cool. And what I like about this movie, and I've criticised the Russo's action in the past, um, I think their action is a lot stronger when it is hand-to-hand combat stuff. Um, and as I've said before, when there is one plane of action, I think if there's ever anything more than one thing going on, they kind of crumble. Um, but the action sequences that they construct in this movie play to their strengths. And the the fighting, and you see this in the Batroc scene, is proper, re- realistic-y fighting. It's, it's, they talked about the, the actor they hired to play Batroc is a martial artist and a and a you know an actual fighter and they wanted someone who like you actually saw their hands move as fast as fighters hands actually move um and cap i think in the first one it feels almost comic booky that he's big and now he's running fast and it's even faster whereas here it's just uh, you know this guy he has you know he has that strength and he's very very used to using it now and He's just very good at fighting, and I, I think all of the I think all of the hand to hand fight sequences look really great. Yeah, I, I I like the way actually the um that Batroc scene is shot pulled out because um, it makes me think of a fighting video game. Mm. <laughs> what, the 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 Batroc bit, yeah. It is. Do you know what? Now I think about it, it is very two D, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't know if if it's a deliberate choice to make it feel like you're watching a Street Fighter style beat 'em up, uh, or if it's just that it comes off like that and it was deliberately done that way for a different reason. But it's just, I just think at that point, oh, it's t- the the film has turned into Marvel versus Capcom for for a couple of minutes. But also, I think it's a nice way. One, to do something a bit distinctive in a scene where you've got fighting styles that are quite distinctive. Um, and also, you know, to actually show you clearly what's happening, which can sometimes be a problem with kind of fights and punch-ups in, in films if they're, if they're kind of shot in a certain way. You can often struggle to follow them. Um, they're, but here, they're... it's, it's you know, you, you, get to, you get to enjoy the choreography of it, basically. Their Civil War stuff is very 2D, though, as well. The, like, the, that's my whole... That's my whole issue with the airport is that they all fight like running at each other yeah. in a line and then two of them will be fighting and we'll cut to another two of them fighting. And, you know, it's it's not got any of that smoothness that you'd see in the first Avengers movie or even like when James Gunn's doing his action, which I imagine is even more CG heavy than this. But still it feels... I, yeah, maybe maybe now I don't like the Batroc fight because it hints at stuff that is to come. <laughs> I get I, I I still do. I still do like it. I think I, I think all of this plays to their to their um 
strengths more. Lamara, what do you think of the action? And and also, please feel free to comment on my previous criticisms of the Russos and their action in Civil War. Um, I kind of agree with you. I, I really love it. Um, I love the fact that Cap is now using his legs so much more. Like, he is fly-kicking people off of the boat, like, all over the place. You know, he did not skip leg day, and it's like... And he's using the shield like offensively as well as defensively, like he's throwing it all over the place, which just after seeing Civil War just reminds me of that line that Spidey says that it doesn't obey the laws of physics or something um, because the way it just bounces all over the place. Uh, my personal preferences is I, I really love kind of more hand-to-hand stuff. Like I can't think of many, not action sequences, but fight sequences in the MCU that were really memorable or kind of fun to me. Um, I really love like, you know, the Bourne style fighting. It's very fast and kind of very choppy and I know a lot of people kind of don't like the shaky cam but um yeah I, I kind of really enjoy that and even though we'll we'll jump to that later you know especially the sequence on the bridge when uh the Winter Soldier and Cap are fighting and he's got a knife and he doesn't have his shield and they are ju- their hands are just going so fast like that to me is just more entertaining and more just visually interesting than you know people shooting missiles and and stuff at each other and just the evolution of of his of cap's fighting style from the first film and from avengers yeah it just seems like he's just on a completely different level and now when i watch it i kind of remember when chris evans tweeted out the practice videos of when he was learning all the choreography (laughs) uh i think before infinity war came out and you kind of see that he did a lot of it you know obviously they still have stunt people and i wouldn't pretend that they that they're not putting in a great amount of work as well but uh you can tell that for this film that all of the actors tried to do as much as they could and it kind of shows because i can't really see where the stunt double has taken over and where it's it's chris evans but yeah this this whole sequence just tells you straight away what kind of style this movie is going to have and you know yeah i just love it and i think it works really well and the fact that the guy says oh you know I thought you were more than a shield and he throws it down and takes his helmet off and it's like, mm. you know, bring it then and just smashes him. It's great. I, I could, I could do this all day. Essentially. <laughs> Says it with his eyes. I like that he, he, do, he does that in French as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think as well, I got to give the Russo's credit because I mean, Seb, you invoked it earlier in the podcast. The dark Knight is a movie that when we discussed and went back to watch it, Christopher Nolan just cannot, do the close-up hand-to-hand fighting in in the Dark Knight and and in all three of those movies really that's where the weakness in the action lies um, and yeah I don't I don't think there's another MCU movie that comes close to this in terms of that kind of stuff but well it probably is when the Russos are doing it you know when you know you add an Iron Man to the mix and you've got Iron Man Bucky and Cap all all fighting with that fast action. Yeah. Um, and they actually, you mentioned Bourne, Lamara. The Russo said it was it was watching Bourne, which they were like looking at for inspiration. But even watching that, they said Matt Damon's arms move so slowly, mm-hmm. and they want and and then they kind of watched it next to MMA and saw how real fighters punch so fast, and they were like, right, okay, how can we how can we replicate that? And I think it really does pay off in this sequence and and in the, a lot of the later ones. Yeah. I do have um, one problem with this sequence, though, and I wonder if you mentioned it, but uh, when I was watching it last night, I made some notes, and I literally have a note that says, Natasha asks shot SMH, because when she, which needs to shake my head, uh, when she's <laughs> fighting those dudes, and at the end, she hits one of them with, like, with a pipe, and 
there is a shot that is so leery that every time I see it, I just roll my eyes because it's mm. yeah. That... Oh, is it, is it when she like when she like leans over to get the information off of the computer, or is that no, no? It's before that. So she's just kind of dived down the stairwell and shooting the guys, and then she lands and. Um, Cap is calling her and she says, you know, one second and she, you know, does her kind of leg twisty thing and she's she beats up these guys and then she flips up. I've seen it so many times, I know it so well. She flips up <laughs> and then she says into her Oh, I know what you yeah, mean now. She yeah. flips up, she says into her mic, you know, building secure, and then she grabs a pipe that's nearby and hits the guy, and then the shot is from behind and it's literally from her shoulders to like her knees and it's mm. it, it just yeah, it's just so irritating to me, and it just reminds me of Iron Man 2, where the camera is so leery over Scarlett Johansson, and yeah, that's the one thing where I'm like, come on, guys, like, we know that she looks I, good, but... I, I feel like Iron Man 2 almost has an excuse in that, like, the first half of the movie, that's literally how Tony Stark is viewing her, um, and the camera kind of apes that, um, but... It's a slight I know thing. Joss Whedon got a lot of... Well, it, it is, but I think the the movie has it. There's there's a scene later on as well. I think it's whenever she's in her actual widow costume, mm. she after being dressed up as Jenny Agatha for the entire entire final act, she's in the helicopter picking up Sam, and she's back in the she's back in the leather widow outfit. And I just thought, oh, that is very low cut. Maybe it was maybe it was noticeable because she'd been dressed up as Jenny Agatha mm. for the past half an hour but yeah you still I mean having said that I leered over Chris Evans every time he was in his vest in his <laughs> that's because so. they're 12 sizes too small and they're just the seams are screaming <laughs> for mercy but you know not to, not to go on and on about it but one of the things I liked about Wonder Woman and I have massive problems with that film is that even when you're on Themyscira and you've got all these gorgeous women wearing you know their armour but still quite short still arms and legs out stomach out chest out the camera never kind of leers over them and pervs over them in the way that if a Zack Snyder film that sequence or if a Michael Bay film that sequence and in that shot it's just very clear oh yeah it's a bunch of dudes who are making this movie because it's just the way that it's done and that's kind of the tiny tiny bit that i that i don't like about that sequence but you know she's so great in the rest of the movie it's it's a small thing but yeah it's not my favorite it's actually kind of it's 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 slightly a recurring thing with the russos because i'm I'm sure i mentioned it when we did infinity war but if you look at the films back to back the russos are really obsessed with elizabeth olsen's cleavage oh god yeah um yeah it's ridiculous um let's move on to uh so steve realizes that something's not quite right after he you know after widow has this side mission and goes back to the triskelion and fury i and i again i like this it feels this is a movie that definitely feels informed by the avengers and first avenger coming before it fury and cap have a relationship the last time they met fury didn't tell cap all of the stuff that was going on and it nearly tore the entire team apart so this time he goes Right, okay, this is why I didn't tell you about this mission. <laughs> because because you're not the person I I want to send in to do that. Natasha's the person who I, I can rely on. I do really like that do. thing of you you two had completely different missions. <laughs> you just didn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um and, and then the fact that Fury just goes, Right, okay, here's what's going on. We've got these three helicarriers, um, they've got spy satellites in them. We want them to wipe out preemptive threats. Um, 
and it it's it's good that he opens up to Cap, and it's also um, I think one of the few Marvel movies that feels kind of I guess Black Panther's another, but that kind of feels like political to the time that is being made. This is around you know 2014's not long after WikiLeaks. Probably I think was probably being made just before the Snowden stuff. Drones and drone warfare was huge, and this is you know if you if you want if you want murky 21st century politics spy satellites drones preemptive pre- eliminating preemptive threats feels very appropriate um and feels appropriate for the shield that we know as well aside from aside from any murkiness lying beneath the surface this is something that fury is like it feels like the right thing to do if we can, you know, if we if we could wipe out another Loki before it starts, you know, why not? One thing that reminded me of actually that I I haven't noticed in, in the previous times I've watched it, which is ridiculous, but yeah, it's kind of got a Minority Report esque thing of you know getting rid of people before they before they do stuff. But it, for me, it's the more the, the scene that feels really current is um, when Jasper Sitwell is talking on the roof, and he basically says how oh actually no is it. Um, is it what's his face in the computer who kind of says that, you know, people have given up their own, their own kind of freedom by us putting our whole lives, you know, kind of out there and things like that. And that's something that I've read about, you know, in the previous years that just the way that we live now, we've kind of made it so easy to be targeted in, in in whatever way or shape that may come in. So even though it's a few years old, it still kind of feels quite current and it's just kind of refreshing that it's not just, there's a bad guy who's doing this type thing, you know, it, it, it just is, is immediately a bit more compelling, I think. Yeah. And you, and you go from, you go from that shield stuff and the, and the, you know, the preemptive striking to being introduced to Alexander Pierce, who is the head of, um, shield or as well as find out Hydra. Um, and this is the point at which I want to ask you guys about, I think, something that the movie really, this, I think, on rewatch, it doesn't matter. But when the movie came out, I think it was something that it really struggled with. One was Robert Redford just told everyone he was playing the villain. Did he? In interviews. <laughs> yes. Classic. So go... Going into the movie, and it probably didn't didn't make its way to mainstream audiences, but going into the movie, I was like, oh, and like it probably like I I thought, oh, well, maybe he's just playing fat out villain, and then the more you see of him in the first act, it's like, oh no, this guy we're not we're not supposed to know that, uh, it, and it and it felt like a real shame because that is one of the twists of the movie, and the whole reason they've cast Robert Redford is. Here is this guy who, if we'd been making Captain America 30 years ago, probably would have played Captain America. Yeah. And, you know, like, obviously, while it's it's different in almost every way, um, other than the fact that it's got Robert Redford in it, like, something like All the President's Men, in, ter- in terms of feel and in terms of, you know, questioning one's government, um, it, th- that's, that's the area of film in which... This film is 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 from which this film was drawing inspiration, you know, um, and and what what better way to make people think of all the president's men than stick Robert Redford in your film? Yeah. <laughs> and the book is in uh, Steve's apartment, is it not? 
Oh, is it? I don't think I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, I think um, there's <laughs> a shot of his bookcase, and and that's one that's up there. Yeah, yeah. but even maybe um, he didn't have enough long, long enough time to read it. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise he could have saved us all a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> the um, but the, actually, the, I mean, the thing with you know, I can't remember if I'd seen in advance uh, Redford giving away that he was the villain, but I think I don't know if you thought this, Joe. I think the assumption a lot of us had was, oh, he's going to turn out to be the Red Skull. Um, and I think yes, that's partly that was, based yeah. on because in the at the end of the Winter Soldier storyline in the comics, it's revealed that Red Skull, who was seemingly killed at the start of Brubaker's run, is living shared in the mind of I've forgotten the character's name, but the Russian guy who's like the main villain of it all. There's there's basically the Red Skull has 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 found a way to to live on inside this guy's head and eventually takes over. So I was expecting this is the Red Skull's mind in somebody else's body to be the twist for that. Mm. Let me talk you through a brief history of me expecting the Red Skull to reappear in MCU movies. <laughs> Go on, in then. the Avengers. Well, Red Skull was sapped up to space by the Tesseract. He's going to show up at some point because the Tesseract's in the Avengers. Nope. Winter Soldier. Oh, what if Pierce is the Red Skull? Nope. Captain America Civil War. They're, they're going back to the to the place in the hills, in the mountains in the first movie. It's all going full circle. It's going to be the Red Skull again. Or maybe even the, the main villain isn't Baron... Zemo, it's maybe it's Red Skull. No, none of that. Then walk into Infinity War, zero <laughs> expectations, and there the there and the fucker is finally. <laughs> um, yeah, so I definitely thought that as well. Here's the second piece of information that you walk into the film with. If you have any comic book knowledge, you know the identity of the Winter Soldier. If you watched Captain America, the First Avenger. You know the identity of the Winter Soldier. No, you as don't. Soon as, you, as soon as you see the first trailer, no, you do. I didn't. No, and do you know? Do you know why I could tell? Yeah, well, okay. Well, I was I was going to give you anecdotal evidence, but but Lamara is is right here, so can. But um, I mean, my okay. I, I've cited her on this podcast before, but uh, my mum, who is a big fan of these films, never read a comic in her life. Loves uh, the Captain America films. Loves the character of Bucky and of the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, she told me that, like, because me, I'm sure me and my dad had been talking about it beforehand because my dad did know from the comics. He hadn't read the Brubaker stuff at that point, but he knew about what had happened with Bucky and, and, and that Bucky was the Winter Soldier. And I had just always assumed in the build-up to the film, oh, everyone knows it because Sebastian Stan's name is on the posters. It it looks like him if you look, you know, if you, if you see pictures of, of his eyes, it's obviously him. And then my mum came out of the film and said, I couldn't believe it when he pulled the mask off and it was Bucky. She was like, I did not see that coming. What an incredible twist that was. And I was like, okay, so it does work for people. Brilliant. We, and and Limara, I assume that was similar for you. Um, yeah, I've been trying to think about this and cast my mind back. And I think, because I didn't really pay attention to MCU films then as much as I do now, but I'm pretty sure I knew Sebastian Stan was in it, but I didn't know if it would just be flashbacks or whatever. Like, I, I don't think I knew until i was in the film and i was like oh okay it's bucky i, I don't think i went in knowing that information because I, I don't before this film i didn't know that storyline i when bucky died in first avenger i was like okay well he's dead you know i there was no he's going to be back thing so i think i was kind of half knew it but didn't really i don't you know i wasn't shocked i didn't gasp or anything but yeah i definitely wasn't certain that he was that character 
It also the, wasn't that long before it that that the character was created and that was established anyway. You know, it was it was the long running truism of comics that nobody stays dead in comics apart from Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, and Bucky. Um, and you know, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Even before Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy, Bucky was the one who you know they'd never brought him back. There was no reason to bring him back because he was never much of a character anyway. And it was it was huge when it happened. It, you know, it, it wouldn't have broken outside of comic circles. But this was in like two thousand and four, two thousand and five. I think when it was when, when the story kicked in and it was announced that it was happening. It was so controversial, and people were like, "You can't possibly bring Bucky back as an adult." What an absolutely ridiculous storyline. Um. This is only, as I say, you know, nine, ten years before this film comes out. So within comic circles, people would have known. But we're not talking about something that was a massive 30, 40 year established part of the history. So, you know, nobody would have any reason to assume that that's, that that's who it was. Mm. And I rewatched the trailer last night. And yeah, unless you're very familiar with Sebastian Stan's eyes, the trailer really doesn't... <laughs> I mean, I know a few people who probably are extremely familiar with Sebastian uh, I mean, I am now, but... but at the time, I, I, I wasn't back then. But yeah, they kind of, they show enough of him for you to understand who or what the Wind Soldier is. But I don't know if you if you would know immediately that, oh, that was Bucky. Um, but that's just me. So the, fl- the flip side of all of this for me is that, so I, you know, I knew and I couldn't get my head around, if you've seen the first movie, how you wouldn't know. But then I, I think it kind of speaks to Bucky in the first movie that they were able to keep it so obscured. <laughs> because because I like I, you said you don't completely agree with us on the first Avenger Lamara, but for me, I mean I just imagine them trying to trying to obscure Hayley Atwell in this movie, like in a in a similarly large role. It would have been almost impossible because she leaves such a mark on on cap in the first movie and i think for me the heavy lifting in that relationship has always been done i buy that bucky means a lot to steve because of chris evans performance i the the like the supporting evidence just isn't there from the previous movie for me mm. and like to the point that I'm almost kind of surprised that they did the Winter Soldier in this movie, because I don't think that you need to. Mm. I think almost like Winter Soldier could be like the post-credit sequence in this movie. That like I don't know, your y- your whole movie is Hydra was underneath was was operating underneath Shield the whole time. Cap has to take them down at the end of the movie, mm. and you know at the end of that, oh the people who've been controlling Winter Soldier are no longer around and now he's off the leash. And that could have been Civil War. And so, yeah, he... I, I'm kind of surprised that they actually did it. And we've joked about this before, haven't we, Seb? That, like, you could almost, like... You could call this movie Civil War and the next one Winter Soldier just as easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because this... 
this feels like a Hydra movie first and a, a Winter Soldier movie second. Yeah, the, I mean, the, yeah, the the story of this film is not about what the Winter Soldier does. He's just in it, and it's about Steve finding out about him. Civil War is about something that Winter Soldier does. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you kind of say that with the first film, you wouldn't think that they would do this storyline because uh, one of my favourite stories, and I'll tell it quickly, is I, I remember listening to Sebastian Stan on a podcast, and he said when they first filmed his death scene, they very clearly you know you see his arm like they make it extremely clear that he loses his arm so he was like oh okay so we're going to do that blah, blah, blah. but then during the reshoots they said yeah when he dies he's going to keep his arm so it, Sebastian Sam was like oh, oh okay so I'm dead like I'm never coming back blah 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 but then years later I think they announced this film at Comic-Con and he said that he only found out about it when his friend who was at Comic-Con texted him and said, uh, do you know what the Captain America sequel is called? And he's like, no. And he said, it's called <laughs> Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And he said, oh, okay. And he had to like call his agent to see, you know, if that was the case. So I think it was one of those things where they kind of had it on the horizon, but they weren't completely sure what they were going to do. And, and I actually do agree with you about Bucky in the first film. Like there's not really much there going on. Like for me, it's, it's in the guise of the winter soldier where, you know, something mildly interesting happens. And then I, I really like what they did with him in civil war. But, but yeah, I, I can't really speak for how many people knew that, that that was who it was in this, in this movie. It seems so obvious now, but, back in 2014 it's probably something different i was gonna say i think the thing is is that as as bucky in the first film what he has to be is the fairly generic um you know clean cut uh solid guy who's steve's mate and who before steve becomes captain america is is better than him at everything and is possibly even maybe kind of a bit of a dick mm. um but what you've got from this onwards is he's you know fuzzy tortured broken like just literally fundamentally broken guy who also happens to be you know absolutely amazing athletically and, and with guns and stuff um and i know that you know james and joe don't think that he convinces very well as that i actually do i i, I like the you know he's not kind of wild and crazy with it he's he's just kind of sad throughout and i think that works really well as a way to do this this broken guy who just doesn't really know anything other than than what he's been told to do um yeah i you know i i, I will defend him against these guys because i i do like him in these films and, I, and not just because the actor shares my first name <laughs> uh, and in fact the actor's name is a term for people who are fans of me you like most people on the internet are Sebastian Stan stands, but Sebastian Stan is is a fan of me. So. <laughs> but I actually think that Sebastian Stan is kind of perfect for the Winter Soldier because he's he's one of those guys who's just very very pretty, like Ken Doll pretty, so pretty in the fact that he can look if he wants to quite kind of blank. So he really suits that just you know either as an assassin or you know very confused person like that kind of comes across for me and maybe that's why it didn't work in the first one because you know he didn't eject and you know enough into it and speaking as someone who's been watching Sebastian Stan for a while his acting skills are a lot better now than they were a few years ago I go way back to Gossip Girl and it was very much I'm reading my lines and that's kind of the extent of my acting um but but yeah for me I this is where it gets interesting and not just because he looks cool with his metal arm and his like face mask and his long hair and his you know that whole silhouette and the whole way that they film him the first time you see him they do that um 
like it switches focus from the car and you just see this figure on the street and the you know the score is doing its job and you know he shoots Fury's car and and then he just steps to the side as it flips and it just looks cool you're like oh who you know who is this guy like this is not just you know a police officer or or, or any kind of normal person this is you know somebody uh who's interesting and I just think I mean I don't know how close his look is to in the comic books if they've if they've kept it pretty um kind of if it's exactly the same as he was in the comics it it is pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, because it's such a. It's one of the things that's great about the Winter Soldier is it's. I I was thinking about this a little while ago that most of what you would call the iconic superhero character designs date from like the nineteen sixties or earlier. Um, I think potentially depending on how the movie goes, the the McKelvey Captain Marvel has got a good chance of of becoming or or if it's not already an iconic one, but Winter Soldier is a guy in black leather with a metal arm with a red star on it and a black face mask. That is just an... It's it's so simple, and you feel like there have probably been lots of characters that look quite like that in some way. Cable's got a metal arm. You know, the, the, the black outfit is pretty much the Punisher. You know, he wears a domino mask that goes all the way back to the Golden Age. It's, the elements all come from elsewhere, but it's such a great, simple and iconic image, you know, just dude in black with metal arm and, and the red star. Um I I think it's a I think it's a brilliant piece of design and, and the film translates it really well. I love how the film does his arm. When you get the close-ups and you get like that bit where uh, it gets disabled and it's all all the kind of joints are kind of coming apart yeah. and not working properly i just they they give it such heft it it were and i like the way they use it in a lot of scenarios like been ripping car doors off and that kind of thing For um, me it's, it's a sorry just quickly it's, it's the shot where he's on the car and he flips over and he uses the arm as a brake and it's kind of stuck yeah it's like stuck in the cement and then he gouges into yeah, the road and then he pulls yeah. it out and the camera just pans up and you're like okay this is just awesome i'm loving all of this more of that yeah. and they do a great job of establishing just how powerful that arm is you know all the it all he needs to do is catch that shield and you go, oh, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is a guy who can catch the and shield. And then he throws it yeah. back and Cap literally goes back a few inches. So, yeah. Yes. It's clear from the beginning. This is this is another super soldier. Although this, whenever Cap and Bucky go head to head, because of that relationship, it doesn't feel like another one of those superhero movies where they've gone, oh, and the villain is like the hero, but just not. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just it's just another person with the same power set. It doesn't with Cap and Bucky, and I think that is to do with the, you know, with with what Bucky means to Cap. Um, the fight has that extra dimension. It's not just two strong two super soldiers going up against each other, and it's two people who've got like a, despite being best friends in the nineteen forties, have had completely different lives. Um, Seb, am I right in thinking the Winter Soldier hasn't aged much because they like he he's not aging when he's shut down? Yeah, exactly. They they keep him cryogenically frozen. Um, yeah. So he's he's aged more than Cap will have done because he's had those little stretches out. But essentially, yeah, for that period, he's he's been on ice throughout. Right. Because um, I mean, actually, in in the comics, uh, he was younger when he died because he was Cap's like teen sidekick. Um, so, you know, he's, he's probably physically about the same age as Cap, kind of having caught up, but just in all of those years when Cap was frozen. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, 
yeah, I don't want to go too much into this because I know I'm just repeating everything I've said before about Sebastian <laughs> Stan. But for me, it's not, I don't have a problem with the character of the Winter Soldier. It's, it is the performance. And uh, I don't think it, I think this is the movie where the performance gets least in the way for me because Sebastian Stan doesn't have as much to do. Um, and it's less of a processing, like the processing of it all is going to come later for Bucky. The processing in this movie is for Steve. Um, and I actually like that the movie lets lets Steve do all of that. But yeah, when it comes to the character himself, I think, yeah, the luck is amazing. The arm is great. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have any issue whatsoever. And I think whenever they fight, it tends to be pretty good. Um, it's just, and it, I think why I say it feels like an element that you can take out of the film Um because for a long time in this movie, whilst the Winter Soldier has surfaced at various points, until Cap sees his face, the Winter Soldier is just the best Hydra agent. He's just like the best one of them. He doesn't do anything. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't impact the plot the plot really any more than like Romlow does. Hmm. But then obviously the entire third act takes on this extra dimension when you do introduce him because here is the Winter Soldier and Cap has an emotional journey to go on as well as this as well as this fight um yeah I I mean now that I'm saying it I don't maybe 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 it's not an it's not a necessary element it's just something that deepens the third (laughs) film it just feels like it's something that you could lift out and the movie would still function I think that's what I mean. But also, anyway. I think no, I I think there is not to get too deeply into, <laughs> but I think I think there is a, a character thing for Cap, which is the Winter Soldier is a is a way of showing Cap how the world has changed without him because this the world has corrupted something from his life that he believes to be good and pure which is his best mate who was always there for him who he lost in tragic circumstances and then he wakes up and he finds out that over the last 70 years this guy has been used to murder a load of people that's like that'll that'll inform your perspective on on what the modern world is like you know Hmm. yeah no yeah like i said i'm coming more around to it even as we talk about (laughs) the third act because because it is captain america is a guy who the reason he's struggling mentally in the Wind Soldier is because he's lost everything and he doesn't recognize the world that he's in and he or he doesn't recognize his place in the world that he's in and then just when he thinks he's figured out right hydra those are the bad guys i'm with the good guys then the face of hydra essentially is the face of his best friend and so it's not just i've lost everything it's oh look like uh, similar to peggy the thing that I'd lost is still there, but out of my reach. And that's that's almost worse in a way. I've talked myself around. It's great that the Winter Soldier's in this Hooray. movie. <laughs> I work stuff. Um, should we talk about his introduction and more, uh, not just his introduction, but that entire car chase sequence with Fury? Because that is tense. That's really that tense. Is, I mean, that is, I was so I was watching this with, Joe, uh, as in my wife, Joe, not you, Joe. Um, and not this time, anyway. Yeah, 
Um, and she's talked about that before as, you know, one of the scenes that she just always remembers from the MCU. And when it was about to start and it's like Fury's in the car and she was like, oh, it's the it, it's this bit. This bit is in this one. It's like, yeah, this bit is in this one. That is just oh, such a scene. It's just, it's so, and, it, and every time it's gripping. Like, you know what's going to happen, but it's still, um, you know, so I, I, it is a nail biting scene, even though you MCU... know what the outcome is. It's the MCU able to benefit from being the MCU because this is Nick Fury, who we've known for quite a while. Um, it's him in danger in a way that, like, this is the guy who is completely unflappable. And this is the guy who kept his cool even, you know, at the end of the Avengers when all that stuff's going. This is the guy who's still shooting at the helicopter as it's flying off. And suddenly, here he is immediately with a broken arm and his car is getting smashed in and how is he possibly going to get out of this? But because it's Nick Fury, he's a real difficult dude to kill. Um, And then they construct this just really smart action sequence where he's completely stationary for like the first third of the action sequence while his car is attacked. And then he manages to fight back with the gun. And then there is a proper car chase bit uh, where the actual the cars are all in motion. And then he hits traffic and you've got people on foot chasing him as he's trying to inch through traffic. And then you have the Winter Soldier bit at the end, which is just this final like, which is also a great introduction for the Winter Soldier, which is not like Fury has just got out of the most impossible situation and then this guy has stood up and literally stared him down and finally stopped that car. And yes, Fury does still get away. Uh, twice, actually, from Bucky. Uh, <laughs> in the face of his assassination attempts. Um, but it's just cool from start to finish. And your heart is in your mouth. And there is as well. I mean, again, it's it's tough to remember back four years. It's tough to remember back four weeks at the moment. But um, I can't recall if I believed that maybe they had killed Fury at that point because well he had been around for a few of the films and you know that that would be a sort of a sacrifice for this film to make to to get it on to where it needed to go next um I think I think at the moment it supposedly happens you can you can buy into it I think I I don't think it's just that I I did buy into it um, I 100% thought that Fury was dead. Um, and because the movie treats it like it is a real death, it does, it shows you him die, it shows you his corpse on a table, it shows you the characters processing it emotionally, it treats it as you would if Fury had died. And, um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Lamara, because for me, I kind of really, I, I actually think in the context of this movie, in isolation, it works because I think it works for the reasons that, like, when Fury returns, it works from a plot point of view that they've killed him off. It works from an emotional point of view as an audience. It works as an, as an emotional device for the rest of those characters. And I think that they, for me, successfully achieve the you think he's dead, but he isn't. The flip side of that is, it's such a played out trope, mm. and at this at this point in the MCU, Iron Man 3 had killed off Pepper Potts, and then it hadn't. Thor had killed off Loki, and then it hadn't. 
and then they killed off Cats America and then they didn't. And then in the next movie, they killed off Groot and then they didn't. Um, you know, so, some some deaths have to stick. Unfortunately, the only one of those that does stick to my knowledge is poor Agent Sitwell. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. By this point, had they started the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show? Was Coulson resurrected by this point? Yes, 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 yes. Because yes. I remember coming out of the film and yeah, going... Yeah, you did not come out of it, Seb. You leaned over to me and said, <laughs> has, a sh- has a show ever been cancelled so abruptly? <laughs> I mean, I was wrong, but it certainly felt like that at the time. Yeah. yeah, I remember feeling a bit disappointed that Fury was alive, not because I don't love Samuel Jackson. Yeah, I'm not a monster, but... Just because, as you said, it, it really works in that scene. You know, you see Natasha's response. You see uh, Agent Hill. You see Cap. They all look genuinely devastated. And, and really, Nick Fury's whole thing was to bring the Avengers together. And by this point, he had already done that. So, um, you know, there was a p- part of me that thought, even though I knew he probably was alive, I thought if he is really dead, that would be quite cool. You know, just... Yeah, I just I just remember thinking, oh, okay, he's alive, you know, there he is again. And it's, like you said, I think we've seen it so many times now. Even by that point, we had seen it a couple of times. It was a bit like, you know, just, you know, stop playing with me emotionally. Like, if you stop killing people and then bring them back, you know, they've, they've got to stick. And with Infinity War, I mean, we all know that they're not going to stay dusted. So it just feels like it's the one thing with Marvel movies that people can kind well, of pick at. Yeah, I, I think at least fair play to them in this movie that they successfully pull off the illusion of thinking a character is not going to be coming back to life. Because those other examples I cited, with the exception of uh, Coulson, who who never came back to life, um, <laughs> all of those other characters you do kind of feel like, oh, it's it's a couple of minutes and then I'm going to see them again. Mm. Uh, Fury I- does, it feels like a death that is going to stick. The fact that it doesn't, I think it, I think the third act of this movie is better for having Fury in it. Um, but aside from that, they haven't really, post this movie, haven't really justified Well, that was what I was going to say. I think what's more disappointing is that this film, and to jump right to the end, but I think we might have to abandon all pretense of going chronologically or, no, or no, no, never no, actually no, no, finished. No, no. Um, but um, I think it's disappointing that this film sets up a status quo for Fury that is then not the case. And it does it actually kind of with a few characters. It sets up a load of new status quos at the end. And then you jump to the end of Infinity War and it's Fury and Hill being Fury and Hill, like they're just S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. It's like, you know, you have this whole thing where Fury symbolically gets rid of the eye patch and puts on the sunglasses and he's got a grave and everyone thinks he's dead and he's off undercover. And he's back in the next movie just as if nothing happened. Well, so he, he pops back up in Age of Ultron like, oh, guys, yeah. bit of information, doesn't he? Um, I'm trying to think what else has he showed up in since then, other than the Infinity War cameo. Is that it? Um, I think it might be, you know. Infinity War's the first time that he's back since Age of Ultron, but it's just yeah. weird that he's back seemingly as as if Winter Soldier hadn't happened, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times he turned up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. between then but that's i mean that's the weird thing for all of the fallout of this movie um like there were hydra agents showing up in ant-man or, or like and so like the the implication at the end of this movie and certainly by the end of age of ultron where the the idea is that age of ultron they were off around the world wiping out the last remaining hydra cells um 
it's really cool in this movie, but there isn't it it doesn't seem to really stick. And a helicarrier turns up in Age of Ultron as well. You know? Like what's it's either cut those ties fully or don't. And I think that again this is probably one of the negatives of having this entire universe. But but you do kind of want to see them stick to it, don't you? What was it? Maria Hill was off to work for Stark. Yeah, which that... she is in Age of Ultron, but never been yeah. mentioned since. <laughs> and and it, I think it um, it show it, she mentions it when she cameos in Agents of Shield as well, which of course doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but but yeah, and like Widow coming out to the world, what what effect did that have? <laughs> does, does that get mentioned? Does that get mentioned in Civil War? Maybe it feels like something that they would mention. Sam does say, "Aren't you the person who told the government to kiss your ass that one time when they're discussing the accords?" That's that's yeah. that's literally it. Although the one thing that I did come out of this movie going, and I, I wish they'd made more of a deal of this. I really love the scene when Widow is telling Cap about how she's encountered the Winter Soldier yes. before, and she shows him the scar, and I'm like, oh brilliant a history between these two characters and in civil war it makes sense for those reasons that she wouldn't join cap's team but i don't I, to my memory i don't remember them really exploring that issue i don't remember that being the driving force behind it anyway no i don't think so it felt like she she just ideologically didn't agree with cap and now bucky's just around and Black Widow's not like, aren't you the guy that stabbed me that one time and shot me that other time? <laughs> well, when they're fighting and he's, you know, throwing her all over the place, she says, he's got he's got her by the throat and she says, mm. you could at least remember me or something like that. Um, yeah, and I love I loved that in Scarlett Johansson's performance in this movie as well. The fact that when Bucky does get the upper hand, she's fucking terrified. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson's great at doing that flip in the in the Marvel movies. Um, but yeah, she uh, it's particularly good when you just add that little wrinkle of these characters have relationships and you, you kind of want them to follow up on it. Maybe that's the biggest frustration of the Winter Soldier that the MCU didn't make the most of it outside of the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, in, in, in the comics, they there is actually a, a romantic history between uh, yeah. Bucky and Natasha, um, which, you know, like, like while he was being the Winter Soldier, essentially. Seb, Seb, does it... Has Widow in the comics had a romantic history with a lot of characters? Because yeah. she's got a thing with Daredevil She's had a thing with well, Daredevil. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. There probably are. <laughs> it's And is that likely a product of there aren't as many female characters as male characters, so when you're hooking them up? I think so. Yeah, yeah there certainly aren't as many who've been around for as long as she has. Yeah. Um, but I mean, hey, the the Scarlett Hans and Charlie Cox, you know, if we can make that happen in a Marvel movie, imagine. <laughs> Although, yeah, si- si- sign me up for that. I, scene. I wouldn't be surprised to hear rumors that uh, Winter Soldier is going to pop up in the uh, Black Widow solo movie. Yeah, that would be cool. Be very cool. Are you hoping for the same as us that that's going to be a like flashbacky kind of movie? Uh, sure i kind of feel like the best time to do a black widow movie would have been after this one instead of uh, yes yeah, you know, yeah, yeah how many years later um it kind of feels like they've missed the boat a little bit and they're trying to catch up um 
But yeah, I mean, despite the fact that this film has her worst hair, I think this is her best. Oh. Film. No, I like it. I love I it. I like it too. <laughs> I mean, it's ob- it's ob- yes, it's Lamar. obviously ridiculous. <laughs> and I love the fact that when they're at Wilson's house, uh, Sam's house, she she's just come out of the shower presumably and her hair's kind of curly and then in the next scene it's bone straight and it's been curled at the bottom it's like either he has a <laughs> pair of ghds or she has some kind of spy kit <laughs> that you know will straighten her hair at at any given moment i mean I, I i remember years ago when this film came out that i said that she's the rihanna of the mcu because every film her hair is different and you know yeah. that's just something that rihanna does she changes her hair all the time but um yeah, I'm, I'm kind of here for this one. But going back, Joe, to your point about, you know, the mis- most disappointing thing is that these relationships weren't built upon. I mean, that's that's kind of what I love the most about this film. I'm not really interested in heli carriers and, you know, you know, millions of people die. Like, uh, you know, it sounds bad, but I don't really care. Like, for me, this movie is what makes it interesting is all the relationships you've got going on. You've got Cap and Sam. You've got Cap and Bucky. You've got Cap and Natasha, which we haven't spoken about yet. You've got Cap and Nick. Then you've got Nick and Pierce. Then you've got... Um, uh, Cap and Peggy for one scene. You know, there's all these different relationships going on yeah. and they all, they don't feel rushed or they don't feel ignored in the same way that maybe some other movies, some other MCU movies, they don't get the chance to really breathe. And, you know, all of those little moments just work, you know, especially with Natasha and Steve, you know, the scene that they have in the car is one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. It's just them chatting. Like, there's nothing exciting it's just two people you know having a chat about whatever you know he's struggling with and she kind of gives her opinion and it just feels very kind of natural and I think Seb you tweeted that you wish this relationship between them was in other films and Mm, I completely agree because I feel like this is definitely the most interesting then you have those moments where he you know he tells her to take her foot off the dashboard so he's still very much you know very kind of straight laced but then when she shows him her scar from being shot through by the winter soldier and she says you know bye bye bikinis and he says yeah i bet you look terrible now (laughs) in like a semi flirty way but and i know that people ship these two characters massively because you know scott no yeah i know i know i I don't for me it's all it's friendship between these two with maybe a bit of flirty banter but i feel like that mostly comes from the fact that that's that's what's yeah i mean yeah that's what's nice about it actually is that it's a it's a it's a friendship yeah that can still have that that flirty element without a it means they actually want to sleep together it doesn't it's just a friendly flirty relationship that's yeah. you know quite realistic yeah. i think and I, I i don't feel like the mcu ignores the relationships but i think what it does is it is it asks you to kind of take them as red after that so when these characters are talking in civil war they want you to remember that this is the this is the relationship they've struck up, but they've done exploring that relationship now. It's just it's a given, and in in that movie we have to focus on Cap and Tony instead. And I think all the Marvel movies. This is why for me the Marvel movies are a, are a generally a cut above is because they focus primarily on character. Um, and uh, superhero movies have kind of gone down before the MCU a bit of a. A bit of a like slide towards oh well, who's the villain going to be in the next movie? And the movie's going to be mostly about the villain, and the hero's kind of going to take a back seat. Marvel flipped that, and th- they made sure that they built compelling characters who had their own worldviews um, and had interesting kinks and quirks to them. And then when you throw them together in a movie, and and because I think Cap is, you know, to everyone's surprise 
going into the MCU, probably the most interesting of these characters, that when you put him up alongside these other characters, when you've got one half of a relationship that that's that's so strong, it it really pops. And yeah, they're all of those relationships that you just talked about are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all really interesting. It's a sh- yeah. It is a shame that we don't spend more time with Cap and Natasha and exploring their dynamic. But the movie's kind of done with it, and because these movies have so many characters, the next time Natasha turns up, it's like, what's her relationship like with Bruce? And the next time she turns and all and um, and Clint, and you know, and, and the next time she turns up, it'll be someone else. Yeah. You know, who knows who she'll be teaming up in the next one? She's still around, isn't she? Yeah, Black Widow. I think so. Oh, so well. Hey, maybe that'll be. Maybe we'll get a bit more of this in the next Infinity mm. War. And before we move on, just you mentioned Clint. Let's give a shout out to Natasha's little arrow necklace, which is a uh, really nice touch. I, I believe Scarlett Johansson. A woman after my <laughs> I believe own that was Scarlett Johansson's idea, and um, yeah, it's pretty cute. So that's what. Do you know what? That is, I think, the reason why I kept faith in Hawkeye for as long as I did, which which is that, like, I bought if I bought into the idea of those two characters having an actual friendship and relationship, and I'm like, well, if I like Natasha, she's friends with Clint. I like Clint as well, and eventually, uh, for, for my money, he got the chance to show that, um, and hopefully, he'll get the chance to show it in in the next Infinity War movie as well. Uh, We are going to stay broadly chronological, uh, but we're going to go into that middle section, you know, where they're they're hanging out, because all of that stuff on the run is is great. uh, You talk about the the flirty side of things. The kiss is perfect. Again, it's a trope, but that kiss is, at the same time, the first first kiss that Cap has probably had (laughs) in a long, long time. Um, And... Second of all, just, you know, it for me, that solidifies that as a, like, a friendship that is, that is, you know, well, it solidifies a friendship that is solidifying. They're, they have that comfort with each other now, but they kiss and you don't get, whilst the two actors have a lot of chemistry and they look like Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson, it doesn't have that sexual charge. And it's just that whole sequence is it's cute in the Apple shop as well. DC Pearson with his little comedic um Apple store genius bar mm-hmm. guy is funny. Um I love it. Uh but what I love more is probably the most controversial scene in the movie. It is when they go back to the Shield Reserve, or the what what was it called, Seb? The SSR back before it was Shield? Yes. Um Special Strategic down- Reserve. Down into the bunker, and they find a computer there. Um, and I just want to say, you guys, I broke the news globally that Toby Jones was going to be back in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I got got a little scoop that I got that I put online after interviewing Toby Jones. Um, he didn't tell me he was going to be a bloody computer though, uh, <laughs> and it's. In a movie that is probably the the MCU movie that's trying to be the most the most grounded in the real world. <laughs> Here is this scene in the middle where things could not get more comic booky if they tried. 
I mean, they could, because what they could have done was put Arnim Zola into the body that he has in the comics, mm. uh, which is that he's a face on a screen on a robot body with a robot head. Um, but... That might have been too far. I think think that would have gone too far. They went about as far as they could without going too far, I think. But do you mind... I mean, it, the thing about this scene is it, you say that, you know, that it, <clears throat> that it goes into kind of ridiculous comic bookiness. And also, it is a scene in which the narrative and pace and thrust of the film grinds to a halt for, is it about 10 minutes so that Toby Jones can tell you a story? And I don't think any of those things matter because it's great. Because it's Toby Jones <laughs> doing his Arnim Zola voice, um, and and the stuff the the background that's being filled in about how Hydra took over is interesting. Well, it, and it's um, not just interesting; it is a proper jaw dropper because yeah. we have we have been watching an a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe which Shield has been a part of since Iron Man, fronted by Nick Fury, who we have just mourned the loss of because he is the ultimate hero. And like, yes, I went into the movie knowing that Robert Redford was playing a villain, but I assumed like, oh, maybe bad guy running S.H.I.E.L.D. and they haven't realised. Not, holy shit, Hydra, the bad guys in the first movie, wheedled themselves into S.H.I.E.L.D., the company, that the, the organisation that was created by Agent Carter and Tony Stark's dad, and they've been there all this time, undermining S.H.I.E.L.D., doing evil shit, and they're still around, and that's what this movie was. It's not just the Winter Soldier, it's Hydra again. And I just remember watching that sequence, kind of pausing between like wide grins to pull my jaw back off, off, off the floor. I thought it's just, it's a complete, it's a complete mic drop moment. And I, I love it so much. And that for me is why you can tolerate the silliness is because your focus isn't just on the method of delivery of this is silly. It's on, it's on what he's telling you as well. And to have a link back to the first movie and to the Hydra that, of old that you knew if Red Skull isn't going to be in, in this movie, <laughs> then, yes, thank you for making it Toby Jones. And thank you for Agent Carter Season 1 for filling in, for filling in this little gap of how this <laughs> originally came about. Still still the best um, Marvel TV show by some distance. Yes, again, what, something I tweeted while watching this was because there was the thing of... Because this film leaves open the question of who was Peggy Carter's husband and the answer is we'll never find out. And it could be what's-his-name from Agent Carter, but we'll never find out. Unless I'm still holding out hope that we finally get Agent Carter Season 3. Or we find out at the end of... Infinity um, War that it's Steve. Yeah, that it's it's all this time has been Steve. Oh my yeah. god, if that happens, I will have a breakdown in the middle of the cinema. Oh, this is yeah, this is this is this is my this is the the post credits thing of either you see them or you just see two gravestones next to each other that show you that they died at a similar age that Steve ended up back in time. It's it is really what I think is going to oh. happen. I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't. It actually, it actually the the whole idea of that makes my heart skip a beat. I, I feel I, sick, Lamar. You just. You, you listened to me talking about it recently on the First Avenger podcast. That whole idea of two people being separated, mm. like that, are, that are just so purely in love. I mean, I, obviously, Cap has another love. Um, okay. Yes, yes, not Sharon, <laughs> but <laughs> no. Oh, we'll get to her. 
the worst. I um, like Sharon in this. Right. Okay. No, no, okay. We, we, <laughs> let's let's stop talking about Peggy because this is this is worse. And do you know what? Importantly, Haley Atwell doesn't like her either. Um, she posts on Instagram that she was not happy about that kiss in Civil War. Yeah, but we're um, not here to talk about Civil War. We're here to no. talk about Winter Soldier, and I think she's good in this. I, I, you know, I again don't like the character. Well, here's the difference with Bucky. Don't like the actor. Like the character. I can tolerate with Sharon don't like the actress don't like the performance don't like the character <laughs> I think she has that she has that one nice moment uh, when she's like uh, when she faces off with uh, Rumlow in and there's the nerdy computer guy uh, tr- tr- not not knowing what to do but before, like I yeah I, I don't I don't like her in She's what she's she's undercover next door to Steve for a whole five minutes of the movie, if that, and then there she is. And like, if she is flirting with him, that's a bit weird, given that like her job is to surveil him. And I'm yeah, sorry, why not? If why not if, just why if, not just tell us who she is as well? Why do why do we have to go through this Agent Thirteen nonsense? You're you're telling me that if your job was to surveil Steve Rogers and live next door to him, you wouldn't find yourself inadvertently flirting with him. I would find myself pregnant. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> uh, I I I don't think I could, but if I if I could, I probably would as well. I don't know. I just don't like her, and I I don't I don't like the idea. You, these movies struck decided to go down the path of. Sharon Carter is not she is not the like the true love of Cap's life it's Peggy Carter just just because comics doesn't justify bringing her into this and through two movies what has she added what has she contributed and why did and like and I I would have actually preferred if she stayed as agent 13 and that was that and this was just a shield agent who Cap has some small relationship with yeah I'm, I'm kind of with you on this one it's it's hard to talk about sharon carter without thinking about what she does in civil war because again i'm with you but in but this in film this, she's not sharon I know, carter i know but yeah no but she is though isn't she she i mean we all knew she was yeah i mean i it I'm not sure like... they intended to go that way until they decided to do it in Civil War. No, I think they call no, no, her no, Sharon no. to make you think that, but I don't think there is any hint in this that she could be. Uh that that there is that there's the flirtation and the hint of romance. No, but and there's that. She, that but she's that's and that just, she's, she's and an agent she's who the happens one that... to be called Sharon. I I I honestly <laughs> no, Seb, Seb. I don't believe <laughs> she's, she's all... intended to be Sharon Carter in this film. I really don't. Two, uh, two million percent, they knew. And, and the I, I bet that they spent the entire film knowing she was Sharon Carter and probably bottled it at the last minute and didn't put a last uh, a full name in because <laughs> Feige told them not to or something. Yeah, it's more like yeah. It's it. She's well, and the fact remains, she is Sharon, and she can fuck <laughs> right off. Oh dear. I think I think you're too harsh, and I don't get why you don't like the performance. I don't think there's anything wrong with Emily. Van For me, I used to watch a TV show that she starred in called Revenge, and she's mm. kind of doing the same thing, like uh, the way she delivers lines and, and kind of her whole demeanor. So, I mean, it's not necessarily bad. It's just not fantastic either. It's just like, oh, okay, that's kind of her thing. And yeah, like Joe says, I mean, she's kind of 
brought in for like a few minutes and she does get that nice scene at the end but for me her whole uh, you know existence in this film is justified when she's talking to Alexander Pierce and she passes Cap and Cap looks straight ahead in the pettiest way imaginable and just says neighbor in like such a annoyed way it just makes me laugh the way that he does that it's like yeah he's not happy with you and she kind of turns around because she knows that he's a bit miffed so yeah that's pretty much all she brought to the film for me personally i think i think one of the other things that bugged me out is uh, this was like at the peak of me doing film journalism the build-ups this movie and like i said reporting on um reporting on the Toby Jones thing. And uh, there was this long list out there of actresses. And actually, I'm not sure whether it was for female lead in the movie or whether it was for Sharon Carter. But there was this list of actresses out there. And the list was Felicity Jones, Teresa Palmer, Alison Brie. All three of those were definitely on it. And I was like, oh, I could get on board with any of those actresses. And actually, during that time, interviewed Felicity Jones and Teresa Palmer and asked them about it. And they were like, oh, yeah, I went and auditioned for that. I just I didn't hear anything back. I don't know what direction they've gone in with it. Um, And then they announced Emily Van Camp. And I went, huh, Okay. well, I I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. And then, yeah, didn't. Well, you know, Felicity Jones had better things to do over at Sony, didn't she? I was thinking that. Uh, I think that was yeah, it would have been a similar time, wouldn't it? Um, hey, anyway, Sharon Carter's in this, and she doesn't do anything as anything as egregious as she does in her next appearance. Um, and You've hopefully, given her she'll way never more appear time again, than she deserves, but... to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I just feel the need to defend her the way, of, the way you feel the fine. need to defend Bucky. You know. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely dust. She's gonna be the she's gonna be the one person who doesn't return once they undo the snap. <laughs> that was what it was. That was what Thanos, Thanos is actually a big uh, Bucky and Cap shipper. And... Um, uh, imagine post credit scene: Thanos takes off his mask and it's Peggy Carter <laughs> underneath. <laughs> It's like everything was just about getting rid of Sharon Carter. Yeah, yeah. and look, look, when when the snap is undone, everyone will return apart from Sharon, and it will just be Bucky's arm. The rest of him is gone. <laughs> no, Peggy's like any any impediments in my way, not having it. <laughs> um, what what have we not talked about? Oh, I tell you what, we've not talked about in the wake of all the Hydra reveals. You want a way to show that. This that that the hy the that Hydra is far reaching. I know where you're going here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 it does this in two very good ways. Obviously, we so Pierce is a bad is a bad guy. That's fine. You kind of I think even if you don't know they're going in, it's kind of there in the performance. It feels like the it feels like the direction this movie is going in. And as soon as you find out Hydra's a thing, you know you know what's what you're going to find out about Pierce. But you need to know that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been kind of like fully taken over. Now, you don't want Maria Hill to be Hydra. Fury's dead, so he wasn't Hydra. So they turn to Sitwell, who is a like a, a character who's been popping up since Thor, I, th- I think, is in is in the short movies and is just one of those that I was like, every time he popped up, I was like, oh, it's nice that they do this. It's nice that they bring back those familiar faces. Um, and to find out he's, he's Hydra in the same scene that he walks up to, how far could Hydra have been reaching? Up into like the higher echelons of politics? 
to maybe a US senator. Have we seen any US senators in the Marvel movies prior to this? Oh my god, it's Gary Shandling. <laughs> He's back and an internet meme is born. <laughs> How good is that scene? Yeah. <laughs> Again, that yeah, one of the benefits of having a cinematic universe. I mean, I love Gary Shandling every time he turns up. When I was doing the MCU charity marathon and he turned back up in this movie, I just tweeted like a picture of it uh, with like Shandling in like capital letters at exclamation mark um, and Judd Apatow favorited it. So I was like, oh, that's nice. It was, it was I, I think about 4 a.m. in the morning. So like 20 hours in, I, I thought I was hallucinating it, but apparently not. Um <laughs> And I love that. It's it's good storytelling, and you know, it it was nice to see um, Gary Shandling again in these movies. Um, a, bit, a bit sad watching back, but yeah, mm. uh, really, really, really love that scene. Um, so the Cap and Widow go and find Sam. Uh, I I said earlier that I really like that. They just have those two scenes. We haven't really talked about the one in the uh, in the veterans meeting. But that for me is again just a, a really nice moment where the film slows down and goes, "Yeah, here are these two, here are these two characters that have that the shared experience, and that's for me that's enough to make him show back up." Uh, what do you guys actually think though of Falcon as you know in in full? Here are his wings, because again, this is a movie that for a long time tries to be very grounded, and then will throw in something like that. It's just here is this dude with wings. And he said that he was, like, uh, in the paramilitary, he just didn't really get quite into the specifics of that. And here he is catching Sitwell and <laughs> dropping him on the top of a building. I I, I like you for that. <laughs> I, think, I think the entire existence of Falcon is worth it for that, throwing him off the roof and catching him scene. What about you, Lamara? What's, what, what are your thoughts on the... On the Falcon costume, because I mean, really, the the all of the actual superheroes in this movie are just strong guys, and I guess this is a this is a technology, but it like it feels like Stark esque technology that oh what a, a dude a dude can suddenly fly. Yeah, but doesn't he have Stark Industries on the wings? Is that an Easter egg, or am I imagining that? I think there's some kind of. If it, oh, I guess. But, um, I guess. Yeah. It would make yeah, sense, sorry, wouldn't it? I guess if it, yeah, given that Stark was an arms dealer, uh, it would make sense given that Stark was an arms dealer. I guess. Yeah, um, Falcon. Yeah, mm, it's okay. I mean, I'm, they obviously couldn't put him in like the red spandex that I believe he has in the comics. But um, yeah, like the first time you see him, and <laughs> I'm sorry to do this, but the fir- the only thing I can really notice is the jeans he's wearing because they're like really '90s wide leg jeans. And I'm like, <laughs> why is Sam Wilson wearing those jeans? So I don't even notice the, <laughs> the wings at first. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a bit disorientating just because I think because Winter Soldier is just so cool with the all black and the arm and you kind of see this guy and he's got kind of goggles and wings on but by the main fight at the end it kind of works I'm like oh, okay this is fine like I I kind of believe this and you, at the same time you you feel that he's um he's vulnerable because you know Bucky rips one of his wings off and then he's kind of grounded but then he goes and fights uh Frank Grillo's character so you know they they give him enough to do but yeah it wasn't a moment where i was like oh that looks really cool it's just okay it's it's kind of i don't know yeah 
it's kind of on the line of cool but also ridiculous like you know batman because it's a man dressed as a bat and this is just a guy with some wings but um yeah he's all right and i really don't mind falcon i think he you know he earns his place um but yeah if i had to choose of one of the characters to like dress up for halloween i don't think i'd go with falcon <laughs> yeah i think that's fair the the wings would just be too difficult to to log around um so the, the russos talk about the structure of this movie being like they wanted to ape the conspiracy thriller so they they talked about like in a conspiracy thriller it's like everything has turned against your protagonist and they almost have to go on the run and they have to kind of take themselves off the map because there's this there's all this stuff going on that they can't begin to understand then they understand it. Then they find out what's going on, and you tend to find that like the the second half of the movie is them is them formulating a plan and fighting back. And this is what we watch here, except obviously there's kind of a double reveal because we have the Hydra reveal, and then we get the Bucky reveal, and that that action sequence that leads up to the Bucky reveal is cool, um, but just they they nail that moment in the execution of Bucky turning around and just Cap's face is it's phenomenal. Um, I like it might be Chris Evans' finest. I don't know. That can't be true, <laughs> can it? Because there's so many. But he's he's so good in that moment. Um, and yeah, for for me, for me, for all of my dislike of Sebastian Stan. It's all worth it for what Chris Evans gets out of it. Yeah, it's a shame we've been talking for so long because I, I could talk about this scene for ages. I don't think I've ever watched this <laughs> film and not rewound this scene at least twice. I just, I think the whole sequence is just so well done. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you've got Natasha being genuinely frightened of him. He does, you know, shoot her. They have that fight, but then he does shoot her. And then oh, when I was watching it last night, it's like, the the score and the the sound design they do something so cool is that as they're doing this hand to hand combat it's like the score kind of quietens but then there's like this sound that's building the tension and you can just even if you've never seen it before you just know it's building to something and then the fact that he kind of flips him over his shoulder taking his mask off and then he turns around and it's revealed the whole you know i don't know i can't even put it into words i just think it's so well done and i think it's so cool and then when you know he's getting arrested Steve Rogers is like on his knees and there's kind of like the sound has been muffled because he's in such shock that his friend who he believed to you know be dead is now back and also trying to kill him and it's just it's just so well executed and yeah I just think it's brilliantly done that whole sequence um my only my only pushback on that Lamara is I think it is all brilliantly done um the the look on the look on Sebastian Sand's face. He kind of like looks to one side. I've got a gif of it up in front of me. <laughs> I just think he's bad. <laughs> I just think like I think you're watching like a powerhouse performance opposite someone who is like maybe it's fair of like I don't know how to process emotion. Mm. I would need to see this. And gift. I guess it's not it it's not supposed to mean much to Bucky because he's just he is Bucky is a character in a state of perpetual confusion, but yeah, it yeah it it it's just Sebastian Stan. I know I know we'll never be on the same page about it. It's no, there's, there's, 
There's no point arguing about it. Oh, I think I know but, the shot that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think I know the shot you're talking about. That's, um, yeah. That reminds me of like Joey trying to do maths, because that's how I look when I'm trying to do maths. Just the very kind of... <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is exactly it. <laughs> but I, I still love him. I'm sorry. I Yeah, that... Yeah, I... Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll go round around in circles. It, you know, it works for me. Right, so... It, what it does is it sets up a final act that I have now convinced myself is perfect because otherwise, <laughs> if you it's perfect in the from the Winter Soldier point of view because otherwise what you're going to have is a final act where um, you, your showdown between Nick Fury and um, and Pierce is going to is is all going to work fine regardless, um, but I think it's going to be a I think the actual the actual can you get up onto three helicarriers and put in three USBs or chips and then come back down and it's not it's it's like you know slot A into tab B kind of stuff for superheroes it's you know it's like the same kind of MacGuffin shit at the end of a superhero movie that we see all the time Um, so to have to be able to cut between that to as you mentioned, a really well choreographed fight scene between the two of them, um, where Captain America gets the shit beaten out of him by Bucky, like uh, like he he gets stabbed, he gets shot, Several he times. gets pummeled by that. There is arm. there is that bit where he gets repeatedly punched in the face by the arm, and like yeah. immediately you you have this massive bruise and wound on his face. Like they they likened him to well they they. The Russos likened um, Cap to Rocky. They said, like, he is, for them, That that's kind of how they modelled him in this movie. Mm. Um, that he's this guy that is just all of this stuff is happening to. And, but you need to put a character as pure as him through the ringer to get that drama at the end of it. So he's gone through as much physical and emotional turmoil as possible. And then what does he say? I'm with you till the end of the line. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, this is the best superhero. <laughs> Captain America is the best because he is completely, like he is the one superhero who is at all points completely willing to die. None more so than when you put your friend in front of him. And I still think he is in the wrong in Civil War. We don't need to reopen that kind of worms. But from a character point of view, I completely understand it. Because he's literally said that out loud. I'm with you till the end of the line. Mm. And I find it like, that's it's hugely emotional. I love it when he's trying to convince him that he knows him. And Cap says, you know, mm. you're my best friend. And uh, Bucky hits him, says, you're my mission. And then just starts beating the shit out of him. I remember that in the cinema, just kind of yelping in the same way that I did when uh, Iron Man puts his hands over his face, when Cap is pummeling him, you know, because it's, it's that moment where you think, Oh yeah, these people yeah. are human. They might be super strong, but they they can they can die. And that bit is yeah, so good. And I feel like in this movie, I, I know they've done the Nick Fury fake out, but it does feel like. I mean, I again talk about the Red Skull. I could list you off the movies where I thought Captain America was going to die at the end, <laughs> <laughs> and like it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> Uh, hopefully it will never happen. Um, I, yeah, but I, I did, I watched this movie and you, you, you see the stuff he goes through. You feel like 
you feel like Natasha could die. You feel like he could die. You feel like Fury could die. Um, and that's impressive for a film that ultimately it has no intention of killing any of them. <laughs> it, yeah. Um, I mean, even at the end, after that fight is finished, when Cap falls in slow motion down into the water, um, in another Bourne-esque moment, uh, but it's this, they, they invoke slow motion for the first time and it's, it really is this quite poetic thing of Cap falling after he said what he said and then, uh, and then, yeah, that I, I guess probably lands more for you if you're invested in Bucky to have the to have Bucky's arm reach out and grab him is that uh, that that is the win as much as anything at the end of the movie for Cap yeah. because yet yes he stopped Hydra but also here is this glimmer of maybe his friend is back yeah completely I love uh, my favorite thing to do watching the MCU movies and I said I did it during that marathon is track the emotional journey of Captain America and Iron Man. Um, and like see how they've evolved on a character point of view throughout what has stayed constant, what's changed, uh, and where they are mentally into in in each movie that they're in and how it affects that movie. Um, I I don't think the MCU gets enough credit for what it has done with those two characters. Um, and it makes complete sense to to make a movie like Civil War. Um, and I can't wait for Infinity War if. Given how little Captain America was in that last one, <laughs> uh, did you? Did we, we, me and James mentioned it on the mini show. Did you hear that? Like when they unbleeped uh, what Mark Ruffalo said on the Jimmy Kimmel show, it was Avengers: The Last Avenger. Um, oh, really? that, 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 and I don't think that we, we both <laughs> agree. We don't think that would actually be the title, but that would also make so much sense to me from a like, yeah, make it a cat movie. Mm. If the, if if Avengers Four was stealthily a Captain America movie, I would be completely okay with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Um, and I guess the the tying up bits at the end of this movie, they do the the, the set to the Trouble Man uh, music. They do the the tying up, but we talked about all of that being kind of not. <laughs> Yeah, kind of not relevant. It's it's almost it almost feels like it should be left off the Blu-ray now. <laughs> in the same way as the the Blu-ray gives you the original, even in the UK, it gives you the proper version of the list of his stuff, not the stupid UK-centric well, one that, that we got in UK. Cinemas. You didn't like that. They I didn't. Def- I didn't because why would he be given a load of? Um, I mean, in fact, right. Let's let's get the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, it's on IMDb, I'm, I'm bringing it up now because I remember seeing what the British list was and just thinking, who would have told him to look up these things? Why? Why would it be relevant for Captain America to see the 1966 World Cup final as opposed to any other football match? Because he's yeah, not no, British. Yeah, um, give him give him a great Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the TV American show, list. Sherlock. <laughs> this is the American list. It is I Love Lucy, The Moon Landing, The Berlin Berlin Wall, Up and Down, Steve Jobs, Brackets, Apple, Disco, Thai Food, Star Wars slash Trek. It looks like he's crossed through wars and that would be appropriate. Uh, Nirvana, Rocky in brackets, Rocky 2 question mark, and Trouble Man. Um, yeah, in Russia, Yuri Gagarin. <laughs> 
<laughs> this, yeah, we've got what the Beatles World Cup final. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. What? <laughs> Shouldn't it be James Bond? It is, like, in <laughs> South Korea, he's got Ji Sung Park. <laughs> the 2002 World Cup. I'm just scrolling through these now. Yeah. Uh, so in different countries, he's got different World Cups because he's got France 98. Yeah. Ferrari's victories at F1 Grand Prix for Italy. Um, Australia, Australia um, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo and Steve Irwin. <laughs> I mean, when you actually look at them like that, it's clear that it's just a joke yeah. picking like yeah, the most cute. obvious things for those countries. But um, otherwise, and this movie, this movie, this is a movie full of little Easter eggs. Like any opportunity it gets, it does do little nods to. And the Russos who continue to do this, like little nods to the rest of the MCU. There's obviously the Stephen Strange name drop before. He was a part of the MCU. There is a cameo from Danny Pudi. Um, before this movie, the Russos were predominantly known for Arrested Development and Community. And I know that the stair car from Arrested Development showed up in Civil War. Um, and this Danny Pudi cameo, I'm pretty sure the Russos, I, I, I could be wrong, I'm sure the Russos have talked about in the world of Community, Abed one summer went off and filmed a cameo in in civil <laughs> in in the winter soldier um See, yeah so the winter soldier is a movie that exists in the community universe and abed was in it yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i remember reading on the IMDb and i know that the the information isn't completely accurate all the time but it said on there that kevin feige gave them this film based off of two episodes of community and if that's true that blew my mind because you know, not to get into it, but we hear so much about, you know, female directors or, you know, directors of colour and it's like, well, you know, they need experience for these huge, huge movies. It's like, well, if the Russo's got this from yeah. Community, I'm sure you could find many directors who have done two episodes of TV shows if you want to give them a Star Wars or a Marvel. That just, uh, yeah, that blew my mind when I read that. Well, I mean, the example is, is always um, uh, uh, Michelle McLaren, who directed like fantastic episodes of breaking bad and um and then went on and did some game of thrones as well and seems to find it impossible to break yeah. in um i guess the i guess the so the russos did have feature film credits and uh, yeah kevin feige is obviously a community fan he brought in dan Harmon to punch up some of the scripts um of uh doctor strange as well and I have to say the episode that I think they'll that he would particularly be talking about from Arrested Development. Um, oh no! In fact, I'm I was going to say it would be the paintball episode, but it wouldn't because of Community. Sorry, but that was Justin Lin who directed that. But I can I can see from looking at their episode list here, like I'm not surprised by that. Um, and actually, given what given that now the Russos are the directors that they trust to do. Everything. So what Marcus and McFeely start on Captain America the first Avenger, then write this, then write Civil War, then write both Avengers movies, whereas the Russos start on this and do all of those future projects as well. So they clearly really trust mm-hmm. them and it clearly is a decision that has not backfired. You're absolutely right though, Lamar, it is a double standard, and I don't want to let Marvel off by saying it's a double standard that applies all over Hollywood because Marvel has been like I yeah, it it kind of bugs me that they've been patting themselves on the back about Captain Marvel, and it's like no, you you you're not allowed to yeah, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask your opinion on one thing. So it's something that my husband and I agree on. Um, in the final sequence, where 
we think that Jenny Agatha is, you know, beating everyone up and then it turns out to be Black Widow. That's just, that's the one thing of this film where I was like, oh, it would have been so cool to see Jenny Ag Agatha having like a fight sequence. I don't know how it would have worked, but it's, and it, it's a bit weird that she has that kind of face changing thing and you never see it again where you think maybe that would have been useful when she was, you know, on the land in Infinity War or maybe that would have been useful to someone to use later on. It's just like a weird kind of note in the movie that for me didn't quite fit. It's like the only thing that she has that's very, very spy. And I don't know, it's just something that sticks out for me. I don't know if, that, if you guys agree or if it's something you've really noticed. <laughs> it was, um, I, I have a feeling you, I mean, you probably would have been in the same screening that I know Joe that I know Joe was in the same one because he mentioned it before that moment got such a big cheer when Jenny Agatha suddenly kicks the guy and it, the impact is slightly lessened by the fact that it turns out to be Black Widow I would much rather that this woman who's one of the security council used to be like a secret agent in the 60s or whatever and has still got it um, that was I, I know why they needed to get Natasha into that scene in yeah. that way but yeah, as, as, it's a shame that a cool moment was made slightly less cool by, oh, it's not actually 50-something woman, uh, or however old and, Jenny Agatha is now. And the um, face technology is... So there's a, there's a deleted scene where, like, <laughs> Fury hands it to her, and it's called something like... Um, like a... a, a something Veil. Um, and it's... It, 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 it was, it's silly, and it's good that they didn't actually put that scene mm. into the movie. Um but it's one of those that I don't think, in the logic of the movie, I don't think it's any sillier that that exists and that there is Mission Impossible X. No, spy but it's, stuff. I think it's just but if it, just, it exists, it, it would be used more, yeah. and it isn't. Yeah, and it doesn't, and it, it doesn't feel right. Uh, the Russo say on the commentary, like, oh, well, and, and like in the first in the first movie, like Hugo Weaving was essentially doing the same thing, but with a mask. Um, and I was, I, I'm like, I. Yeah, you're right. It's true, and 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 I I actually do like when she takes the mask off in terms of the actual visuals of it. Like the idea of this like cloth take being taken off, I think is it's a it's a cool idea for some technology, but it yeah it just doesn't feel right. And they almost they they messed up really by making it such a cool moment when Jenny Agatha is doing it that it feels like a. Oh, yeah. It's slightly deflating, yeah. isn't it? That that scene though does mean, and this is something else that I tweeted, but that um, we we get um, Jim Robinson sharing the screen with Jenny Agatha and Robert Redford, and that is not an event I think anyone would have ever thought would ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not in a month. for our American listeners. Uh, there is an Australian uh, soap opera called Neighbours that was very popular in the UK in the eighties and nineties, and Alan Dale, who's the the Australian guy on the Security Council. Although I think he's trying to do an American accent in this, as he often does in all the American TV shows and movies that he's been in since he first popped up in Lost. Um, but yeah, he, he he was a character in the, a very popular character in this very popular Australian soap opera. His post-Neighbours um, career is just was unbelievable to me because there was a time in it's the noughties. Ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> in the noughties, he was everywhere. He was in OC, he was in Lost, he was in 24. Yeah. Just every TV show he just popped up in. I was like, well, you know, good for you, Annandale. Yeah. You're still getting work. But yeah, it was like whenever people leave really long-running TV shows, you think, well, you're never going to see them again. And he's just had this completely different career in America. It's pretty astonishing. And just a, in all of those shows that you mentioned, just a thrilling bastard in all oh, of them so as well. Oh, he's so good. I don't know if you've seen him in the OC, but he is so good in that. Yes, uh, I am. I am so there for season it's one of the, the OC. Um, 
Yeah, and and he is uh, he's not in Lost very often, but every time it, it from the from the first time he pops up, it's like oh, this guy's a big deal in this world. Um, and yeah, so I, I think uh, we can wrap things up basically by talking. Well, I don't think we need to talk about it. Uh, the post credit sequence for it's a teaser for Age of Ultron doesn't really reflect the versions of those characters that we ever see in Age of Ultron. Uh, so, nah. hmm. and weird, isn't it weird that those two characters were created by an Infinity Stone? And no one talks about it again. <laughs> um, They've been created from his from Loki's scepter, right? That's the implication, anyway. Yeah, because there was the implication that this, when they used the word miracles, that that would be their substitution for mutants, and you would start to get all these new super powered characters coming no, out. It's of just, the Infinity it's just Stone. these two. Yeah, and similarly sets up Baron Strucker. And he's dead within what the first twenty minutes of Age of Ultron. Yeah, although I think his little mate pops up in Agents of Shield quite a bit <laughs> because, of course, he does. Um, and Von Strucker's kids show up in Age of Age of Ultron as well. Yeah. Uh, no, not Age of Ultron. Uh, Agents of Shield. Um, so, uh, I think that's it for the actual discussion of the movie. Seb, do you have any uh, comic book recommendations? I guess, I'm guessing you've got one. I mean, yeah, on you, after the first Cap film, I think we've got you to do the first arc of Brubaker, which actually is where it introduces the Is That Bucky as the Winter Soldier mystery. The second story arc is called The Winter Soldier and is the one that reveals and to an extent resolves the Bucky as the Winter Soldier situation, resolves it in a quite different way from the movies. Yeah. Um, but also as well, if you want more of that kind of thing, um, there was, I think it actually happened after Bucky had been Cap, because um, when Captain America got killed, Bucky became Captain America. Um, then when Captain America came back, he went back to being the Winter Soldier. And there was a Winter Soldier spin-off series in 2012 um, that I th- that delves into his past and particularly his past with Natasha. Um, and that kind of thing, and it's all written by Ed Brubaker, who is, you know, was the writer of Captain America for many years, did a seminal run, and created the Winter Soldier. So it's all really good comics and very worth a read. And I like, I, I've always liked Brubaker doing that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm definitely on board for that. Um, so that's the uh, end of the main section of the podcast. The only thing that's left to do is to tell you um, what the pitch is going to be for the next minisode when we finally actually get around to <laughs> being able to... We've got to... a few stacked up now, haven't we? <laughs> it, 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 uh, I mean, Seb, we may be going to have to have a discussion off mic about whether the pitches are going to die at some point. Because <laughs> they already just... kind of have. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to do them, but they are, yeah... It's it's difficult to stay on top of them. We're running out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, here is uh, something I never thought I'd ask, ask, though. I'd like you to pitch me a Winter Soldier spin-off yes, movie. Yes, please. <laughs> Lamara, I, th- I think you should have a go at this one. You should send us one in. <laughs> I'm already buying tickets and it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're going to hear two versions yeah. of them pitch. <laughs> what if they both suggest recasting? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I will not. I will not stand by it. Uh, Lamara, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, did, did it feel therapeutic to finally be able to defend your man? <laughs> it did a bit, but I don't feel like I've convinced you very much. Um, yeah, but it was great. To, I mean, uh, yeah, there's so much that I wanted to cover about this film as well. But it was great to kind of chat about because I do genuinely love it. And you know, for the Ethan Hawks of the world who think that you can't have great movies that happen to be about superheroes, I feel like this is mm-hmm. the one that would. Yeah convinced so. otherwise so yeah and you, you you can't 
it's so frustrating to hear people sit there and say all of these movies are all the same and you're like they made a political thriller and then a comedy space opera what what do you want them to do those are the two movies they made back to back it's so lazy and just before uh, we uh jump off quickly um I recommended this podcast to my friend Doug a year ago, and he's now a dedicated listener. Um, so if you're listening, Doug, hello, and also Katie. But I have a little quiz for you guys. Um, we, we all know that Ooh. Seb named his daughter after Lois Lane. Don't fight. We know you did. Um, well, <laughs> Doug and Katie named their daughter after a comic book character, a Marvel comic book character. And I wondered if you guys wanted to guess what her name is. You'll never guess. Is it what? Th- oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you said we'd never guess, so it's got to be something weird and obscure. As someone, anyone from the movies or just uh, No, no. She's in the movies too. Not part of the MCU, but a Marvel character. Gwen? Ooh. No, not Gwen. James Kitty. wanted to call his daughter Gwen Stacy. Uh, so. No. Kitty? No. Jean? No. Aurora? No. You're close, though. You're in the right team. <laughs> in the right <laughs> franchise. Sue Raven? No, no. no that's a, a, a yeah. <laughs> oh god, this is really up? difficult. Go on. Her name is Rogue. Yeah. Wow, oh, I nearly said is... Rogue, and then I thought, yeah. no, it's not going to be Rogue. That's <laughs> wow, that's Impressive. that's really cool though. Yeah. <laughs> well, one one day Rogue can have a team up with Lois and uh, Emmy's Emmy Cara. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched that too. Um, and uh, yeah, and I I don't have any children to name after comic book characters. I'm afraid. I name my cat after It's a Wonderful Life. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lamar, is there anything you want to plug before before we finish? No. Do, where, maybe maybe you're, do, where people find your yeah, Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at your turn Heather, which is a, a name of my. Uh, my old blog and also the first words you hear in the movie Heathers because it's not just comic book movies that I like um, so yeah but mm-hmm. only request to follow me if you like Chris Evans because that's pretty much 70% of my tweeting output so if you're a Chris Pratt <laughs> fan please don't bother <laughs> um, I, I recommend I recommend the follow because yes I'm a Chris Evans fan um, and it's worth it for all of the Chris Evans content. <laughs> you, uh, your, your tweet every time you tweet Helen O'Hara. It oh, we up. have so many DMs <laughs> as well. Like there's one with Amon that is uh, has been going on for months and months and months, and it's stuck. Oh, I'm not. I'm not happy that this is going on in private. I want to be able to read these messages. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely get Helen on here yeah. as well. Like she's awesome. No, that yeah, we would absolutely love to. I think she's too famous um, for us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you are enjoying the podcast listeners, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, uh, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. And buy our t-shirts um, at redbubble.com forward slash yes. people forward slash cinematic you. Which I mentioned on the, on the mini-sode are selling more than we, we expected. And it has everything to do with Seb's amazing design. So definitely go and give those a look because they're really fun. Um, if you uh, would like to find more episodes of the show, you can head to cinematicuniverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.
Film fans were saddened by the news that actor Neville Sinclair was killed in a tragedy when flaming debris fell on his touring car. That's terrible. That was a nice car. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with The Rocketeer. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 